Turn it on and rip the knob off. Hey, hey, guys, and come on in. It's episode 11 of The Grenade, and it's a special watch-along edition of the NWA's Clash of the Champions 7 on the WWE Network, and I'm your host, Ray Russell, and joining me for this one, he wouldn't miss this one for the world, it's Steve Ekstat, and Steve, I already know the answer to this, but are you ready for the Clash 7 watch-along? Oh, absolutely, man. This is my one of my favorite Clash of the Champions, and I've been waiting for this day for a while, so I'm, I'm pumped to be here. I'm excited. And even though Steve didn't have to twist my arm to do this episode, I know he's feeling like he pulled one over on me, getting to call one of his favorite shows here. So, Steve, I feel like you should return the favor, maybe review one of my favorite shows with me sometime. Like, uh, yeah, we could uh, we could do Heroes of Wrestling. I- I'm always down for a train wreck. I don't think there's a bigger train wreck in wrestling than that show. But if that's what you want to do, man, let's go. I- I'm down for anything. Uh, no, I was just joking. I, I don't know if I ever want to do that or not, but we'll we'll discuss that at a later <laughs> date. I, I if we ever discuss that show ever again, though, I do have a funny, hell of a funny story about about it. Not 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 even having to do with what was actually the content on the program. Just a completely different story altogether, involving myself watching the pay per view. But <laughs> that's a story for for a different day. Maybe if we have filler time here. But uh, but in all seriousness, guys, this is a fast paced show. There's something going on at all times here. So for anyone out there with ADHD, welcome to 1990s booking. Uh, if you have a short attention span but enjoy wrestling, this is a perfect combination show for all of you. So and with Steve deeming this his favorite clash or one of his favorite clashes, uh, this should make for an exciting, uh, very exciting edition of the Grenade. I should hope. And we're going to get a couple pieces of business out of the way before we do this watch-along. So I'm going to ask everyone to pop onto the WWE Network now and queue up Clash 7. And we'll count you down on the other side of these quick but important messages. The Wrestling Memory Grenade is proud to announce the launch of WrestleCopia brand and the WrestleCopia Podcast Network, which you can find over at www.wrestlecopia.com. That's WrestleCopia.com, WrestleCopia.com. You've probably heard me mention in passing all the way back to episode one of the Grenade, the WrestleCopia brand. You may be asking, what is WrestleCopia? The name derives from the words wrestle for wrestling and copia, which is defined as having plenty or an abundance of. It's an abundance of wrestling history over at WrestleCopia.com as the podcast network gets up and running with a variety of podcasts slated to launch over the course of the fall season. Everything from our show The Grenade to Monday Warfare, The Battles Within, an in-depth look and weekly breakdown of the entire Raw vs. Nitro War. The WrestleCopia News Network is a special feature podcast. We've done a couple pieces already in the Bullet Bob Armstrong special and more recently What a Rush, a tribute to Road Warrior Animal Peace. You can expect more late-breaking news, timely discussions, and tributes to the fallen legends on future episodes of WCNN. We've also got other podcasts being prepped for their debuts this holiday season, including a territory-based show we like to call The Money and the Miles. There's an old saying in the world of professional wrestling that nothing in this business is real except the money made and the miles traveled. In this podcast, we discuss the territory era with shows focusing on everything from show reviews to yearly breakdowns to episodes focusing on some of the rare, lesser-known territories and outlaw promotions of yesteryear that remains an enigma. 
Stop on over to WrestleCopia.com for all the latest shows and follow us on Twitter at WrestleCopia. That's on Twitter at WrestleCopia for all the latest news and information on the podcast network. I want to give a big shout out to the one and only Retro Network. That's the Retro Network. You can find their site over at theretronetwork.com. Join Jason, Mickey, and the crew as they do a deep dive into eras gone by and especially the 80s and 90s. Two decades I'm happy to admit I grew up in. The Retro Network offers a little bit of everything for everyone who's looking to relive those youthful memories, grab hold of that nostalgic feeling, or for you youngins out there who want to see what the fuss was all about. We're talking podcasts, music playlists, articles covering everything from movie reviews to toys to cartoons and everything in between. They even have great holiday theme posts going on. There's great videos featuring segments like the Wax Pack flashback where they unseal decades old trading cards. I find myself having fun every time I visit and there's always something new for you to enjoy every day you pop on there. You can follow the Retro Network on Twitter at TRN Social and their website again is theretronetwork.com. Please come relive your childhood with Jason, Mickey, and the crew at theretronetwork.com. On behalf of the Wrestling Memory Grenade and the WrestleCopia brand, we are proud to announce our very own Patreon account. We encourage everyone to stop on over to patreon.com slash WrestleCopia and check out an amazing 14 tiers. And depending on your budget, we have everything from as little as a $1 tier to as much as a $100 tier. Get you all sorts of exciting offers. It really all depends on what offer you value the most. You can do anything from join Steve and I right here as co-hosts for an episode of The Grenade, all the way down to unedited versions of the show, early access to upcoming episodes, beat everyone else to the punch, see what we're saying before everyone else gets to hear it, plus my insanely detailed show notes, which I value ever so dearly. You can even pick the flick. And what that means is, if you subscribe to one of our You Pick the Flick tiers, you'll tell us, me and Steve, what show it is you want us to review. It can be a watch-along on the WWE Network, YouTube, Daily Motion. It can even be a live review of a rare show from my personal archive vault of videos at home. No promotion, no territory, no era is off-limits. You can request anything from your favorite WrestleMania to an episode of 1982 World Class to the 60-minute classic between Jack Briscoe and Dory Funk Jr. from 1970s All Japan. Hell, if you want to put us through the misery, we'll even pull a mystery science theater over here and watch Hell Comes to Frogtown starring Roddy Piper. You tell us what you want us to review, and we'll do our own little watch-along and do our best to entertain you guys and give you guys insight in the process. And it doesn't end there. There's a $5 tier, a Power Patron tier. All you have to do is subscribe $5 to our Patreon account, where you, as the Patreon, get exclusive access to the Power Hour podcast that we release anywhere from two to four times per month, with the potential for bonus episodes being added at any given time. It's unfiltered, uncensored, unedited, we say whatever we think, whatever we feel on just about any topic. We'll answer your questions, review recent pay-per-views. There's even a little segment we like to call Things Meltzer Said, where we pick apart and debate Things Meltzer Said. All of that, plus other random questions, opinions, and stories are shared here on the exclusive Power Hour podcast. Or, for only $2 more, you can subscribe to the $7 tier, the all-access tier where for $2 more, not only do you gain access to the Power Hour podcast and everything on every lower tier, but you'll also have complete access to our entire full library of random show reviews and watch-alongs we've done and continue to do as a side project. 
We review everything from the Flare Steamboat 2 out of 3 fall match from Class 6, all the way down to the Halloween 1985 edition of Saturday Night's Main Event. It's a proverbial hodgepodge of randomness, as you never know what we'll review next. And it's exclusive to the all-access tier or any of the higher tiers over at patreon.com slash wrestlecopia. Check it out now. That address again is patreon.com slash wrestlecopia. That's wrestle, C-O-P-I-A. It may not be the showdown at the OK Corral, but it was the WWF versus WCW, Raw versus Nitro, the Monday Night War, the Ratings War, the NWO, the Attitude Era. While everyone discusses who won the war, it's truly the battles within the war that made this weekly episodic rivalry so exciting. We break it all down from episode reviews to backstage news to those ever-important TV ratings. It's Monday Warfare, the Battles Within exclusively on WrestleCopia.com. Okay, guys, as promised, we're going to dive right into this week's watch-along. It's Clash of the Champions 7, Guts and Glory. Featuring Terry Funk versus Ricky Steamboat, the semi-finals and finals of the NWA World Tag Team Title Tournament, the Steiners versus what's left of the Varsity Club, Doc versus Gordy, and the debut of Norman the Lunatic, and the Ding Dongs. Yeesh. So, Steve, if you're ready, I'm going to count us down and get the ball rolling. I'm ready to go, man. All righty, then. Away we go, guys. I hope everyone's queued up and ready to go. We're going to press play in five, four, three, two, one, and press play. And we kick off the show right here. This is Lieutenant General Carl Steiners, if you couldn't tell. Uh, obviously, he gets the deal here, part of the Fort Bragg deal here uh where the clash is going to be coming to us from uh, by the way we're uh, it is clash of the champions seven guts and glory it's named after that because they're in fort bragg and uh, this is uh, taking place june 14th 1989 just a couple of weeks before america's birthday show kicks off here like i said with carl steiner commander of the 18th airborne corporal uh, uh corps i'm sorry at uh, fort bragg he puts over the army here he thanks the nwa for coming and visiting the the troops um you see there on the screen, it's a uh, live <laughs> live from Fayetteville, even though they're selling this as being from Fort Bragg. So I, I don't know what's going on. We already have issues here with the NWA. Kind of cool. Uh, unfortunately, right away, we've lost our original Clash intro, Steve, from the early Clashes, the the, the original theme music. It's a great intro. I'm, it's sad to see it go, but it does feel outdated for this time period. So I guess we must uh, a bit, of, bit adieu to the old Clash logo or the old Clash um, intro. I don't mind it here. I like how they use the uh, NWA top 10 to hype up the match between uh, Steamboat and Funk, number one versus number 10. Um, They're really starting to put more emphasis on that that we've seen in the shows leading up to this one. Um, And for them to hype, the very first thing you see on this show outside of Steiner is um, an NWA top 10 uh, banner. So uh, at least they're using it. They're not just throwing it around. At least they're using it. And it looks like Bob Cottle's here with Jim Ross. So give me some Bob Cottle. I'll take it any day. It, it sure beats uh, Michael Hayes. Of course, Michael Hayes is all over this show, but um, at least he's not on commentary for the entire show. So I'm totally happy with Bob Cottle uh, doing the play-by-play here with Jim Ross. Oh, yeah, me too. And this show's... Uh, we're live... Oh, go on, man. I was, was going to say, man, they're already sweating bullets. 
Yeah, and I was going to talk about that in a minute here, but we're live on TBS, and uh, way back when, the Clash of the Champions 5 drew a 4.6 ratings. It started on the decline. Of course, we had Clash 6, that show in New Orleans, thanks to George Scott, dropped down to a 4.3 rating. They didn't even advertise that show. They've been advertising the heck out of this for the last few weeks. Clash of the Champions 7 dips from a 4.3 to a 3.8. 1.9 million homes. A drop-off of 200,000 homes from Clash 6, which wasn't even advertised. And here we have Funk versus Steamboat, which does do a 4.5. So so that's up about 300,000 from the actual average over the entire course of this program. But to put this in perspective, Steve, WWF Primetime Wrestling from earlier this week did a 3.9. That's Clash here did a 3.8. So Primetime did better. And even though that was... Out of the norm, that was actually one of the primetime's higher shows in quite a long time. It still beat out the class here, which is just sad to think about after all the hard work the bookers and every everyone's been putting in here to get NWA back to a high level. Yeah, I, w- I wouldn't expect that low of a turnout. Um, I, you have Funk and Steamer on top. This is the Funk's first big-time match in the NWA since he came back. Um I don't know what caused it to drop that low, but you just can tell like that whatever George Scott was doing between, you know, January, February, March and that clash six, he completely turned off obviously a ton of viewers. Um, yeah. So I don't think it's any fault of the people currently in position. It's the, it's what preceded it and how bad he destroyed the company. Um, yeah. So right there, we just saw the, uh, an army choir perform the national anthem. And uh, we're, now we're getting clips of end of the NWA stars trying their hands at some of the ROTC courses. Steiner's, of course, out there. No shock there. I would have I guessed that. There's also going to be clips here of Ranger Ross out there killing it at the uh, slide for life down the rope. As you see these highlights showing this up right cool here. Me. I enjoy this because it, it just shows you what kind of athletes they are and, and things like that. Down the wall yeah, definitely. Very yeah. cool. Very cool stuff. And uh, no surprise here, the Steiners uh, have no issue repelling. I, I, I think Rick Steiner probably has one of these in his backyard. I feel it's just uh, there's Missy Hyatt who also repelled a little slower, but Missy just uh, a few days removed from getting misted in the face, and she seems to be just glowing and finer. Here's Ranger Ross just killing it, like I said, on that slide for life. I think this is Ranger Ross. Yeah, it is. I think he's done this before. Yeah, just a, just a few times. That's probably how he entered Grenada. And here, we're going to see Missy Hyatt next. And yeah, Missy's going to go down, uh, going to go down the rope, and she can slide down my rope any day. He's not even using the <laughs> the life vest or the you know the safety thing there to propel him in. Yeah, that water is nasty looking. Hey man, it's far worse than other places. You got to get used to it. <laughs> It's like some like uh, some sweet tea or something. How brown it was. Funny little note here. Uh, Missy points out she didn't break a nail, didn't mess her nails up during that. And Ro- Ranger Ross uh, chimes in that he didn't mess his hair up. And I I thought that was funny. I mean, he even shows some fun wit about him. So it just there's nothing wrong with with Ranger Ross. I mean, he 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 checks off every everything on the list of what you would want as a performer in in the ring. So it's just another reminder of how they dropped the ball with the guy. They never really gave him the opportunity. And while the dudes are coming out here with kids and throwing Frisbees, they've given up the skateboards for tonight anyway. And uh, they're using uh, 
the frisbees instead, something that Shane at least gets the hang of here. He learns how to throw a frisbee anyway. But I wanted to touch on something touch on something you mentioned before. Um and that's how George Scott had driven driven away so many fans. And that's an excellent point because even with all this great booking, the, the booking is turned around completely. Ratings are still on the decline. They're not even at a at a plateau. They're they're on the decline. And that's just proof that it's a lot easier to lose viewers than get them back. And another Absolutely. point you made was that these guys sweating bullets out here, and that's because it's over 100 degrees in this building right now. Clearly no air conditioning here in Fort Bragg. Absolutely and not. Here's your man right here, Michael Hayes, strutting his way down to the ring. And love those shades, dude. I'd love to get me a pair of them I shades, love, to be honest I with you. I love those shades, too. And who's that behind him? Why, it's the newest Freebird. And kind of kind of a lame little bit of fanfare here, just Jimmy Garvin swagging his way down to the ring as the newest member of the Freebird. He wasn't even announced, you know, giving his own introduction here. But as you see, Terry Gordy's with them ringside, so I don't understand the point of Garvin being able to even take part in this match since Gordy is clearly there and capable of wrestling. He was involved in the first round of the tournament. Yeah, it doesn't make much sense, but... He's the smart one. He's the one wearing the vest, and these dudes are wearing leather jackets in a 100-degree building. Uh, you can tell who's the brains there, I guess. And on the network version, the dude's uh, updated Wipeout song and, and Leonard Skinner's Freebird here, both uh, recorded over with generic audio and ruins the entire introduction of the opening match here. They got some heat, though, man. They're, they're getting – look at that guy. He's blown up. <laughs> Yeah, and we'll see that in some of the matches later as well. Some of the some of the guys just, but oh yeah. So uh, I kind of teased it last week, and before we get going here, I just want to get my Jim Ross story out for everybody. So I've watched this show numerous times, and I was always curious. Like, it has to suck working in an environment like this. So actually, I reached out to uh, Jim Ross on Twitter, and I asked him, and I was like, "What was it like working?" Uh, Clash 7 in Fort Bragg and how hot was it? And he's like, it was a scorcher, but everybody's ready to go out and get a beer and eat some food after it was over. So he, he was, uh, he said it was an honor to, to work in front of these guys and be in the building and just enjoyed the, um, the week or whatever it was that they were there. But he said, yeah, it was unbearably hot. The dude's, uh, some miscommunication or, or poorly timed uh, stuff here on everybody's part. Obviously, the dudes haven't been teaming very long. They're still figuring everything out. And then Jimmy Garvin thrown right into this new tag team with Michael Hayes. I mean, they had worked here and there together down in Dallas and, and whatnot. But here as a new full-time tag team, they're just getting things going. And the Freebirds, this this pair of the Freebirds weren't never always, uh, you know, top-of-the-line qual- quality uh, in-ring action anyway. So... Lots of uh, lots of poor execution there in the in the opening there, which was designed to get the dudes over. Yeah, could you imagine people tuning in at the start of this show and you see that and it's coming like, man, that's this is garbage, and they turn it off. I wonder yeah. if that happened. Yeah, and you'd never see that in the WWF. And I'm not saying that everyone in the WWF was leaps and bounds better than say Shane Douglas or or whoever, but it's just everybody was fine tuned before they ever made it to pay-per-view or a, a special like this they oh, weren't yeah. even getting on tv unless they you know they had their 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 stuff down 
Yeah, and they even put they put veterans and guys they knew was going to deliver uh, out there first. Um, you can just go look at all the opening matches at pay per views. It's usually really really good workers and people they know they're going to get the crowd going and kind of set the stage, uh, especially with those early pay per views. And this is uh, it's looking better. Speaking of setting the stage, these two teams got here by uh, first round wins. The the dudes. Get, got the win just this past week over the New Zealand Militia, Jack Victory, and Rip Morgan. And, of course, the Freebirds were the first team to advance to the semifinals. It was Gordy and Hayes at that point that defeated the Road Warriors on a countout while the SST were beating the living crap out of them right in front of the referee. Still don't understand that, but I guess we have to just move on. I mean, they only enforce the rules when they need to, not when, they, not when they're supposed to. We've learned that so far this year. That's one thing we've learned. And Michael Hayes in the ring, so can't expect too much here. <laughs> no. Uh, he barely got down for that sunset in time. I think, that's, I, think so that's Shane, I think that's Shane's second sunset flip already of the match. Johnny A's trying to get that crowd going. And I will say early on, the crowd's pretty hot. They're, they're excited. They're here to enjoy themselves. Unfortunately, the heat uh, in the side of this building takes a toll on the fans uh, as the, as the uh, program goes on. Oh, yeah. Hayes already decking his brand-new partner right in the mouth. These guys have to be in uniform, too. Whew. Yeah, that uh, that had to be pretty rough. The the choir out there earlier, all full decked out. Ace misses the crossbody, and now Jimmy Garvin. We haven't seen him in quite a while. Actually, we haven't seen him at all here in 1989. He left last year after working that program really? with Kevin Sullivan. Was it early in 88? No, he was at the bash. Yeah, he, he did the storyline with Kevin Sullivan. And then eventually Precious left right after that. And then Garvin took off. I believe he quit. Walked out later on. Looked like a Powers of Pain it. shirt there in the crowd. I don't know what, what was going on there. I didn't even know the Powers of Pain had a shirt. That was a, a Road Warriors bandana. Oh, is that what that was? I th- thought I saw the yeah. Warlord there. No, no, I said the Road Warriors. That was, I, th- I thought it was a shirt at first, but look, it was a bandana. That's pretty sweet. NWA merch. I don't know. I don't. I'm not up to snuff on the NWA's merch. So I'm, I'm always. I'm always. <laughs> I'm always uh, surprised whenever I see. Oh yeah, I forgot the NWA had merchandise. Yeah, it's not readily available like some of the WWF stuff. We've got some. Garvin soldiers. really adds a lot to this team. I will say. Got some soldiers out there directing traffic in the crowd. What's Garvin going to do here? I thought he might have tried a baseball slide. Of course he wasn't going to. It's Jimmy Garvin. He just kick, <laughs> kicks Johnny Ace in the head. Good old-fashioned kick to the head. And some of the other matches we got coming up here, uh, they intrigue me. Dr. Death versus Terry Gordy. Of course, that's built on a storyline in Japan that actually didn't even happen. It's just a <laughs> make-believe story that we're, we're told and forced to believe. And I guess back then as a kid, I would have bought into it. Yeah, you don't know what's going, what's happening over there, so it makes sense. I would have spent a couple years uh, 
just waiting to try to <laughs> here comes Shea with Adek, waiting to try to hope they would show the the footage of of that attack that that never even transpired. I'm I'm assuming this is the hot tag. We're moving pretty fast through this match, and probably a wise idea given the guys involved. The Shane guys Douglas, involved in plus yeah. one of them has to work again. One of the teams has to work again with how hot it is. Yeah. Well, Shane yeah, Douglas is finals, Shane Douglas has been more than kind of, there's his move. He was using that as his finisher when he first came in as a singles that slide under sunset flip. He finally used it in a manner that made sense. Yeah. But I was going to yeah, say Shane's usually a competent worker, but here, man, everybody just looks off. This entire match has looked off that double drop kick. There might've been the first thing that looked on sync the entire match. Hayes. Yeah, you're not wrong. Tosses Ace out of the ring. We got Shane Douglas over in the corner on Garvin. I think we're going to start getting some better dynamic do matches later on in the year. That doesn't help us right now. And the Freebirds no, no. aren't going to give anybody a, a good match, really. Especially here in 89. They're, they're just fitting together. Here comes the O'Connor roll. Hayes slides in. DDT. Good spot. Good bump. Ooh. Douglas Drops. goes down two, three, and the Freebirds win this one, and they will advance into the finals. Sadly, <laughs> of the uh, World Tag Team Title Tournament, and w- the Freebirds are going to uh, wind up taking on either the Midnight Express or the SST, and we'll see mm-hmm. that match I later. Wonder. Later in the show, Gordy celebrating at ringside, and they didn't even need Gordy. They had Gordy at ringside here, and. He didn't even get involved, so that worked out nicely. Of course, that just plays into, I'm sure, the uh, the next round. So Gordy's kind of all over this show. Gordy's accompanying the Freebirds to the ring. He's wrestling Dr. Death later on the show. Nice DDT. Shane took that right on the top of his dome. And Garvin gets the pin. Jimmy Garvin's first pin in quite a while here in the NWA. Tommy Young makes the Can't count. Let's listen to this commercial. Jesus better be good. Hello, what is it? Oh, hello, Mr. President. It's really not a very um hold on. Shut up! <laughs> Mr. President, I'm trying. If you wanna know that, all you have to do is call the wrestling hotline. The Wrestling Hotline, now with all new programming. Mondays, Lance Russell travels America for those hard-to-get interviews. Tuesdays, find out what Joe Petticino knows. Wednesdays, enter the Danger Zone with the unpredictable Paul E. Dangerously. Thursdays, dig up the dirt with Eddie Gilbert and Missy on Hot Stuff. Fridays, it's the provocative Jim Ross Report. And weekends, it's live in WA action. The Wrestling Hotline. Call 1-900-909-9900. Two dollars for the first minute, 45 cents thereafter. Kids, get your parents' permission before calling. Okay, so two things there. First, Polly Dangerously loved rocking phones, right? But did you ever notice half of these phones are not cell phones? That, that was not a cell phone. That was just a cordless phone, a, a 1980s cordless yeah, phone. That's <laughs> what I've noticed. The other it thing is, is, I wonder how few people called on Tuesdays when Joe Pettacino was doing the hotline. <laughs> Very few. I, wonder, I bet you it didn't last long. Um probably out of there. He's probably off the lineup after a couple months, I'm sure. 
So here comes our token match for Ranger Ross here because we're in Fort Bragg. Looks like this is the terrorist. Looks like he has like a, a great Muda mask on over his generic uh, fatigue costume here. Um, I wanted to make sure this wasn't Jack Victory because we know how many times he's been coming out here under the hood, but uh, clearly this is not Jack Victory because this guy this guy's ass is not the size of an amphitheater. Absolutely not. It's not Jack Victory. Do you know who it is? Uh, you know, uh, do you have any guesses? Because I did do research and I, I came up with the name. Let me see him with his, his jacket off. And we got Ranger Ross out here. And the, you know, the NWA was so busy trying to force Ranger Ross onto the show because this was in Fort Bragg that they didn't realize they could have got a shit ton more out of him here because he's over as hell. There's a Ranger chant right about right here, right now. That that's It, it sounds like the entire arena is, is chanting ranger ranger he's over as hell and instead they force feed him this you know this this basically this squash match stereotypical war veteran versus a, a terrorist gimmick he wrestles in the fatigue don't he uh, i think he attacks him here in the fatigues but he does lose the jacket as the match begins and i wish he hadn't because what he's wearing underneath is even shittier than what he, than the jacket itself you I can think tell, that is a mooted mask. Yeah, you can tell this was just thrown together. They didn't even have a mask yeah, for the got, guy. Yeah, I got nothing on who this is. Uh, according to my research, this is actually Doug Gilbert, Eddie Gilbert's brother. That's what I was thinking, because he was the Raider. Right. But... Yeah, so they got to be careful here not to lose that mask. And Ross just with a with a, with his generic Ranger Ross offense. Nothing against uh, his offense. Just uh, it's a squash is all this is, and it's just yeah. a way to, to to get him on the show. They don't even want him to show. I liken it to the uh, the indie guy that nobody wants on the show, but they let him on the show because he sold the most tickets. So <laughs> it's basically basically the situation here. Everybody's here. They're the army Fort Bragg. So let's get Ranger Ross on the show. But we don't really want him on the show, so let's give him a 90-second squash and take it home. And that's pretty much what they're yeah, about to do right here. He had a really yeah, he, good showing against Ron Simmons, and he, he was starting to come into his own a little bit. He could have given him something else right here. he knew he was going to be over. Boom, combat kick, and that'll do it. And this match is already over. Tommy Young never even had to leave. Tommy Young, you can already see through his shirt. His shirt is soaked. You can see his skin <laughs> through his shirt. And, and we're only he did two uh, straight matches. Well, this match you can't even. I mean, he's a, he, he didn't break a sweat during this match. He was already oh, soaked no, saying, like, from the first match. Yeah, he's only done two matches. He's probably been out there what twelve, thirteen minutes tops, and he's already sweating through his clothes, man. Yeah, that's rough. And a, a referee's job's just as hard as a a wrestler's job, just jumping around the ring, up and down, back and forth, all over the place. So yeah, Tom Young's already killing it here. I don't know who I I know they have Nick Patrick by this point. Yeah. So it's gonna. I'm curious know, to see. Young, he's uh, he's busy in the ring. He just doesn't stand around. He's he's always moving. So he's even worse as we far got as a, work goes. A Road Warriors video here. I was gonna play the audio because I'm I'm kind of curious how they got away with playing this on the network.
Not much by way of a video. Pretty lazy, actually. But just hearing that Iron Man type music with the Road Warriors, I don't know how the WWF allowed that to fly when they dub over audio that they actually own. Yeah, hard telling. They must have just skipped it. And we're going to see a lot of these cuts here, these uh, cutaways in between the commercial breaks, plugging the army. I'm sure that was part of the deal here. And Jim Ross is in the ring because he's about to introduce the great Muda and Gary Hart for a dragon shy demonstration. And we've got two of our uh, famous jobbers here, two of the guys that have been here since the beginning of 1989, Trent Knight and Mike Justice out here in the ring. And they actually make it onto a clash. So my first question was, where's Lee Scott? But then I I realized that, you know, this being TBS and a big show, I guess they wanted guys who looked like actual wrestlers, you know, the... (laughs) Uh, Lee Scott, maybe maybe 100 pounds. <laughs> These guys, uh, a right. l- lot larger. They look like real athletes. Not or, or not, And that's not knocking Lee Scott, who is two-time jobber of the month. He's the best, best job guy they got right now. But uh, just looking at him from the casual fan's point of view, I guess that's why we get Trent Knight and Mike Justice here. Unfortunately, nothing, we, we don't even, nothing happened. So I don't know if they changed the booking plans because they had announced this in advance, and then we come out here, and Gary Hart basically dismisses this immediately. He says that um, uh, they're, you know, first he comes out here and he starts calling the two job guys gaijin. He loves just dropping dropping these Japanese terms. It makes him look like an idiot to me, but it is what it is. But Gary Hart's basically (laughs) saying, basically saying, uh, Gary's saying that these guys aren't competition, so... Muda's not going to demonstrate the Dragon Shy match here. Makes no sense to me. Maybe they're just saving the match for uh, a big-time name to where it's more believable. Hard telling. This is all just an angle. We know that. And Justice and Knight are color-coded here tonight. It's like uh, they're looking to team up. Maybe they could have been the ding dongs. <laughs> well, they couldn't have been, have been any worse better. than yeah. Well, they couldn't have been any worse than the guys they did choose. Yeah, we'll we'll look into that later on. There's Nick Patrick out there, so Nick Patrick gets to referee a match that doesn't even actually happen. And he's already be, sweating through his. Shirt. I'll be curious to see if when Tommy Young returns to the ring, if he's in a new shirt. I mean, Gary Hart's already like dropping sweat off his brow just walking to the ring that, that gives you everything you need to know how hot it is look at that <laughs> he's in a suit man i'd be like i'm coming out in shorts and a tank top i ain't doing this oh here's eddie gilbert coming to the ring he throws a fireball there muda out of the way and trent knight takes the it right in the face yeah the camera angles there were terrible and we got a guy right there on the apron now if you plan this in advance you, this is something you, you make sure through production and directing that you have a camera right at, uh, right where it needs to be. And this is a case of the NWA being the NWA because we missed the fireball. That was a hell of a fireball. That was a huge fireball by Gilbert. And Gilbert, uh, basically the story here is, is that last week on TV, if you listen to the last episode of The Grenade, Muda misted Missy Hyatt right in the face. Missy Hyatt, of course, Eddie Gilbert's girl. And he's coming back for revenge here. He tries to throw a fireball, Muda out of the way, and Trent Knight takes it right in the face and Gilbert being a baby face. He's down checking on night. That wasn't his intention. And then I don't know if you, I don't know if you caught this. I don't know if you watched this clash, 
But I, I, I studied up on a few things on here before we did the watch along, and this was one of the segments I studied up on. And after the fireball, when he's down rolling around, Jim Ross sells this. He tells this weird story that I wasn't familiar with until now. Ross claims that the great Muda is uh, fearful of fire. He's afraid of fire. Here we go. This is a good camera. This is better. At least you see the fireball here. And then you see Nick Patrick's ass. But basically the story Ross started selling immediately was the great Muda is afraid of fire uh, because Ooh, his father, because his father, which I'm assuming they're re- referencing Kabuki because his father was burned in the face. And that's why they both wore face paint. This is the story in the narrative Ross is selling here. Uh, they must drop this pretty quick because obviously they move away from the Muda and Gilbert feud and move right into the Muda sting feud. And they basically drop this in, <laughs> right in the middle of everything. And so we just saw Trent Knight and we just saw Cougar J or excuse me. We just saw uh, Mike justice. Now we have Cougar J and George South in the ring. And uh, here we go. Let's listen to this. 225 pounds. Ladies and gentlemen, their opponents soon to be making their way toward the ring area from Belleville, USA. Total combined weight, 455 pounds. The Ding Dongs. Boy, I tell you, Jim, that's a wild-looking pair. I've never seen the Ding Dongs. I'm anxious to watch this. See just what happens. They look like they could be a wild dude. God bless Bob Cottle trying to put this shit over. Yeah, this the, is shit. The job guys are in full effect tonight. And if you guys can't see what's on your screen or if you're not watching along with us, the Ding Dongs were guys in, in pinkish looking body suits and masks. Uh, two job guys. Uh, sure, whatever you want to call it. Greg Evans and Richard Sartain, who had wrestled as the rock and roll rebels down in Georgia for Jody Hamilton, the assassin's old independent promotion and i guess he probably got these guys hired here under these masks these poor souls who got stuck with this gimmick they have bells tied to their wrists they have bells (laughs) tied to their ankles Uh, they lose their bells during the match there's a bell in the corner in which they ring while they wait to be tagged in and there are bells sewn on their outfits so that's the ding dong characters i'm not making this up this was a jim hurt idea he thought it would be great for the kids. I don't know anyone that liked this. Yeah, this is terrible. They totally butchered that rope float over in the corner. So the camera crow. What crow was correctly, that? <laughs> correctly switches to the dude on the apron so they didn't have to show it. <laughs> oh, my God. This is terrible. And if you listen to the show, the crowd was hot for the entire show up until here. They popped when the, oh, yeah. the ding dongs were announced. Because they didn't, hadn't seen him yet. By the time these guys get in the ring and the fucking bell sounds, the crowd, half the crowd just dies. Like, this kills half the crowd. Yeah. Like, and if, if, if the dynamic dudes and Freebird's sloppiness didn't turn people away, this sure as hell did. People turned off right here. Oh, absolutely. I don't, I, I don't care if they were crisp and clean with no caffeine, man. Never had it, never will, the ding-dongs. They're like seven oh, up. <laughs> No, I'm just saying uh, there's no way people tune in. for This is the NWA. You tune in to watch wrestling, and then you see some idiots coming down and some spandex ding-dongs with masks and all this stupid crap. Well, at least he's working the gimmick there. He does a Fez press and lands balls first in George South's face. That's a ding-dong move. 
<laughs> I don't even know what I've ever seen I that. don't know. I don't know what the hell that was. These guys are trying some innovative moves, and they're just the worst things you could ever come up with. And then we get the armbar. Well, you always got to go back to the armbar. It always goes back to the armbar, even if you're a ding dong. And I don't know which one of them are out there in the corner right now, but he for, he's forgetting to ring the damn bell. That's part of the gimmick. You better get over there and start ringing on that bell. Oh, that was a rough-looking arm drag. The whole ring's filled with their bells, too. <laughs> oh, yeah. This is whole. Could you imagine trying to wrestle with 100 bells on your... I mean, literally, look how many bells are on their wrists. And their ankles. Like, this is ridiculous. Oh, what the hell was that there? He's going, what the... Yeah, what the hell was he doing? Looks like he's going for a backdrop, and he went down too low to, like, grab his ankles. George South is Modi Muffler. <laughs> he was looking for his own ding-dong there, I think. How the hell did these guys go longer than... Look at that ugly-ass spine buster. Arn Anderson, he is not. Well, this is the finish. Just so I, Whoa, he falls right there. Almost falls off the middle rope, trying to an elbow drop. And then the knee drop off the top, Bob Holly style. Looks good. One, two, three. And that's about the only good thing I can say about the ding-dongs. And they How get the hell the did win- they go longer than Ranger Ross? That's well, my question. They get three minutes here. So they do go double the length of Ranger Ross. And poor Nick, Nick Patrick's been out there for an angle and the ding-dong so far tonight. So you can, tell, you can definitely tell who the Looks senior like, official is here. He uh, landed on the hip there. That didn't look too good on that elbow. Hits him in the shoulder. He can't get over enough on his Well, he, he, damn, near, he damn near fell off the middle rope trying the elbow. He completely slipped yeah, and caught himself. Guys. Just not good. I will say the best part of the ding dongs is September <laughs> when they run into the skyscrapers. And uh, I don't know who we got here. I didn't take notes on this. I don't know if this is a mayor or what's going on, but they do this throughout the entire show. We hear from the governor later, even in the show. So they did a quite a hard working job here and getting yeah, really everyone involved. The birthday and everything else. Up next, we got another tag team tournament match. It's the Midnight Express taking on the SST. And the winner of that will go on to fight the Freebirds later in the night for the world tag team titles. Too much dead air there, Steve. <laughs> I'm watching these dudes run down the street. It's kind of... Uh... It's, it's funny you record these shows obviously with no commercials on it um the commercials are local by the broadcast or whatever but uh it kind of stinks seeing these things in between like commercial breaks like back to back like that right it just looks like overkill but if you had the commercials you know the two or three minute commercials um breaking it up they're pretty effective but man when they're back to back on the way out and on the way in <laughs> it's overkill and we got the uh, Midnight ex- Oh, yeah, it's definitely overkill. I mean, and by the end of the show, it's definitely overkill. It just it's beats, they beat it into the ground. But I'm sure that wasn't their decision. I'm sure that it's an agreement they had to make with the Army, with Uncle Sam. And that's yeah. pretty much what we get here. And these guys pretty much have free reign. There's a fan right there in the ring. And we got 
We got a soldier over here with him now. There's a fan jumped in the ring, though. Yeah, and there's, there's like three soldiers now. Yeah. This isn't your typical fan interfering. Um, they were nice to him. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure this really what, what, he, what he was going for there. He seemed to be exchanging words with, with Cornette or the Midnights, but not hostile. Maybe he just wanted to I say hello. Yeah, maybe these are. this is his favorite tag team. He got a little overzealous. But uh, we see the Midnights here. They got the win over uh, the tough team of Butch Reed and, and the Raider in the first round. Of course, the Raider replaced Bob Orton. And here come the SST to the ring. These guys just look amazing. And the SST, they got their win over uh, Ron Simmons and Ranger Ross and another screwy type finish. A lot of screw job finishes in the first round. They didn't care about this tournament. <laughs> oh, no. No, this was... This tournament was uh, the definition of half-ass. Yeah, between the people that were in it, the way the matches ended, it, it just totally de- kind of devalued the, the World Tag Team titles. Um, yeah, to go from a uh, months-long storyline between the Road Warriors and the Varsity Club to what we have here, and that's not taking anything away from teams like the SST or the Midnights, but like you said, just some of the teams they threw into the first round, just throw away nonsense and all of the, they use the entire first round to get angles over instead of have actual wrestling competition for the world tag titles. Now here tonight, I'll give them credit. At least they're having matches, but these matches are rushed along as well. At least the semifinals. This whole show feels rushed along. Cornette goes right after Paulie there. Just, just escapes getting <laughs> attacked by Samu. And it's fun that they found a way to get Polly and Cornette back against each other here without actually making it about their actual feud. They're basically forced to do this match, and Samu just, I don't know what happened there on that backdrop. I think that's Fatu. Fatu, yeah. yeah. I don't know what happened there on that uh, backdrop. He tripped over one of the Ding Dong's bells. That's what happened. Could be it. Maybe he should put some boots on. <laughs> There's still some in the ring. Like they can't get somebody in there to sweep those out. The old midnight spot right there. Good to see them back. Hitting their old old spots. Drop to old and elbow drop. This was a match that uh by the end it seemed uh some of the guys were lagging a little bit. And they only go maybe I think six minutes or so. And I'm I'm not trashing them by any means. They still bust their ass out here, but it's just it's just so damn hot, I guess. Yeah, it reminds me of uh, like ECW at the ECW arena in the summer months. Oh, that yeah. place just looked unbearable. Um, some like those early years, like ninety four, ninety five, ninety six. Um, it just looked unbearable in there, and uh, adding those TV lights doesn't help at all. So you can only go do so much before you get you know you're on the verge of dehydration and passing out. So. Tommy Young right there, or Tommy Young, I'm sorry. Bobby Eaton there with his swinging neck breaker. <laughs> Stan Lane yeah. needs to get rid of this move. He looks so terrible doing it. And they did it for years. I don't know what, what it's just like, it's like an ugly person looking in a mirror and, and seeing something beautiful, man. It's uh, Stan Lane loved <laughs> doing that move. They used it for years and years and it looked awful. Yeah, dude. Eaton's just laying in every single move he's got. 
And you talked about wondering if they were going to return in better shape. I don't know about that. Bobby, Bobby's looking a little doughy in the midsection. Maybe even more than when he left. He's been scarfing down some pizzas and enjoying his time off. Stan don't look bad, but oh, Stan Stan's never a looked different bad. animal. Yeah, I don't think Stan would have ever let himself go. Took too much pride. Yeah, that's what it seemed like. He always looked in tip-top shape, every like from everything that with the um, the fabulous ones, and then. Even when he's with the heavenly bodies there for a little bit, he looked really good. Um, Did you ever hear the story of the fake Stan Lane? No, I did not. No, I haven't. Uh, apparently, there was this guy who was an imposter, Stan Lane, and he worked this gimmick, I mean, full full time. He married some lady who thought she was married to Stan Lane for years. <laughs> um Oh my I, I don't know. I don't know what happened. I, I, I'm assuming the guy passed away or, or something. Something came about in the last several years, but... Yeah, this was a thing, and it went on for a very long time. Fake Stan Lane. Why Stan Lane? <laughs> I, maybe he looked resembled him to something. Yeah. I'm assuming he had to have. If this lady's yeah. watching him on TV, assuming it's her husband or her boyfriend or whatever the story was. Wow, that's crazy. Of all people. I don't know what's going on here. There's Paulie on the phone. That's not a cell phone, Paul. No, absolutely not. Where's the receive? Where's the receiver at? You gotta be within range. <laughs> See, I always thought most of them were. That's disgusting. <laughs> Sam would just shooting his snot in the air like that. Yeah. Or sweat, whatever it was. Um, There's See, Doug I always thought it was just a the, I it was just a cordless phone. It never looked like a cell phone to me. Yeah, I'd say quite a bit of the time it was just a a normal cordless phone. Which is funny. I mean, those, those born after this era probably looked at it and, and uh, presumed that it, that's what a cellular phone looked like back then. But uh, no. A little bit steeper to replace, for sure. <laughs> oh, sir. oh, yeah, definitely. And probably easier to gimmick. Samoans working over Bobby in their corner now. And Stan, you'd figure after this many years of teaming with with Bobby Eaton and even with Steve Kern and, and even with Brian St. John that Stan would learn that you don't come in the ring. The referee's going to push you back and then the heels are going to double team your partner. These guys just never learn. And now Nick Patrick's shirt looks like Tommy Young's. Yeah, awesome looking spot there in the corner. I think that's five two in there. He took it awesome. And yeah, his shirt's already soaked. Stan Lane gets the hot tag with a figure or a flying forearm there and Fatu doesn't even take a bump. Let's try it again. No, reverse. Oh, Lane with a Russian leg. Well, nice. <laughs> he should have floated over into that. That was a nice back roll by Lane. And it looks like it's breaking down, so we must be going to the finish here. Which team will advance, Steve? Which team? Well, it only makes sense that the Midnight's win. <laughs> And Nick Patrick takes a bump, and the camera completely misses it. I, I don't even understand what just happened there. Here's the roadies. I don't yeah, know. Just perfect timing. They just hit the ring at the same time. Nick Patrick goes down. Animal presses Fatu off. Double clothesline. <laughs> Crowd's going ape shit. Yeah, crowd is going ape shit. Look at that. 
and the Midnights steal the win. We missed the bump on Nick Patrick. We missed the pinfall cover. We missed the fireball. I mean, yeah. you missed, you've missed everything of importance in these last two or three segments. We did get the roadies. We saw that the hard camera facing the roadie. I think that's the only reason we got it. Yeah, you can't mess that up. But, man, they're doing bad. It's Craig Leathers now, right? No, it's still Tommy Edwards. I was going to bring that up later in the show. I, I watched the credits on the uh, live version because uh, I'm not sure if it's on the network version. I didn't check the credits, but they seem to like whenever they can on the WWE network version, they love to uh, omit the credits. So, And here's you some more selling of the U.S. Army, Steve. Yeah. So the World Warriors... Get a little revenge there. The SST eliminated the Road Warriors, caused the Road Warriors to be eliminated in the first round, and now the Road Warriors have the SST eliminated in the semifinals. So good little storytelling there as the roadies and the SST feud continues on. Yeah, I'm not mad about it. It's just a shame. That's how you ruin your – you do this with your World Tag Team Tournament. And like you said, man, this completely devalues those belts. I mean, this is this is just a platform to push an angle. For multiple teams. Yeah, I think the only clean, non-horseshit finish in the first round was the dudes over the militia, and, and then we have one clean finish here in the semis with the birds over the dudes. And now we go back in time to Wrestle War. This is obviously where Terry Funk basically becomes an active wrestler again, attacks Ric Flair, turning Ric Flair babyface, pile drives him on the table, and Ric Flair's been out ever since. And of course, this will all lead to future matches between the two for the world title. But Funk's just been killing it on TV ever since Wrestle War. And here's Funk. Got Flair up. He's going to drop him. Boom. And that's basically what took Flair out. But, man, Funk's just been killing it. I think I lost yeah, you yeah. there for a couple seconds, Steve, but welcome back. And uh, yeah. Funk's just been killing it without Flair even on on TV programming right now. Yeah, yeah. It's like, to be honest, you don't even really miss Ric Flair, and that's ca- that's crazy to say. But Funk's I kind of been... don't even want Flair to come back. I want to see more of what Funk's going to do. Uh, Flair can come back later on in the summer. Yeah, for, Funk, for sure. Uh, Funk's just been killing it in promos. wrestling and promos and angles, just everything. Yeah, everything he does is gold, and uh, he don't even need Ric Flair. Um, no matter how great Ric Flair is, Funk was doing a tremendous job by himself. Uh, so, yeah, you didn't even notice that Flair was gone. Jim Ross is about to introduce uh, uh, Lance Russell's going to Tell us about the upcoming two-ring battle royals. I wanted to listen to that. So I'm going to play the audio here for a couple minutes. Most of the towns during the Great American Bash will be featuring the Triple Crown two-ring King of the Hill Battle Royal, the most exciting battle royal in the history of wrestling. Up to 30 men will start in ring number one. As the men are eliminated over the top rope, they move to ring number two, where another battle royal begins until one man remains in each ring. These two men will face each other for $25,000 plus the right to compete in the King of the Hill Finals in Baltimore. 
Don't miss the two-ring Triple Crown Battle Royal when the Great American Bash comes to an arena near you. I'm and that, that was kind of cool. It was a good way to get Lance Russell on the show anyway. And I thought it was a nice way to promote the Bash pay-per-view and the local house shows at the same time. I loved Battle Royals as a kid. Oh, I did too. I still like them. Um, they're very entertaining, especially when they're done properly. I often wonder, like, I don't have as much interest in the Battle Royal as I used to, and I wonder if it's just the guys involved in the things they do now, or, or is it the, a different version of the storytelling? Because I know Battle Royals have mainly always been just kick-and-punch fiascos, but it was just, there was far more intrigue for me years ago than there is now when I see these guys out there. The other thing I hated about some of the Battle Royals were, was when everybody started going out within a 30-second window. Yeah, I think what that, what really is is like battle royals back then. You had twenty to thirty guys in it that you cared about. They're, they're, you're invested in them one way or another, even just a little bit. It could be yeah. an undercard guy, an upper card guy. You know who they are. You know what their history is. Now you have a twenty man battle royal, and half the time I'm looking around like, who the hell is that? Like, what is that? Yeah, is I'm that I'm waiting for about ninety percent of them to get eliminated so I can enjoy the. Here comes Doc. Doc back from Japan, Gordy back from Japan. They're both back for the first time um, in quite a while. And the story that they're telling here is that Kevin Sullivan paid off Terry Gordy to uh, attack Doc and take him out in Japan. Obviously, he didn't do that, and Doc is fired up here. Dr. Death returns from Japan a babyface. No more varsity club. And he mauls over Terry Gordy here. He looks awesome. The crowd's dead. I don't know. They're still recovering from the Ding Dongs match, but when Ranger Ross came out and was doing his stuff, the crowd was standing up. They were eating up. Even the dudes, they were cheering. I think. I think they, they had the, like on their hands. I think they had the life sucked out of them after they went nuts for the Road Warriors. It seemed like that that might yeah. have <laughs> that might have taken everything out of them that they had. Nick Patrick hasn't left the ring since uh, match number three. He's been under quite a while. These guys are just beating the hell out of each other. Oh, this that's what I love about this. This is good. great. Oh, yeah. This is great here. Watching Gordy and Doc. I could watch this every day, all day. Last hour, 20 minutes of this show is top-notch wrestling outside of maybe the Freebirds. Excuse me. Well, I know there's still a Norman match coming up, so I'm going to have to question you about that. But we'll we'll see what happens when we get there. Excited to see Norman with all the What's... vignettes they were doing. <laughs> well, I think people are excited to see him. Uh, we'll have to wait and see what the what the fans here react to for with Norman. I'm not sure this is a a, a Norman fan base here at Fort Bragg. <laughs> I don't think there's a Norman fan base anywhere in the NWA. Let's be honest. I don't know. Maybe Vince could have got it to work, but it, it's not working here. Not for me. Look at this. Look at Doc. Just laying in Gordy. Such uh, Terry Gordy's one of the greatest bumpers ever, man. Just the greatest sellers ever. Just amazing stuff by Terry Gordy here. I Just like both na- of these guys. Natural at every aspect. It's a shame that Gordy's so big that he shouldn't be selling the way he does. <laughs> yeah. Kind of takes away some of the mystique from his size, but I think he understood being a great seller is going to take him further than being just your typical big guy. I think this is the first time we've we've ever seen Doctor Death in the uh, yellow. He's actually in the red and yellow. 
infringing on Hulk Hogan a little bit here. I don't think Hulk's going to do anything about it, though. No, I don't think so. Um, it's crazy. I went to a, I, I think it was 2007. Oh. I went to a SummerSlam. Uh, it was it was in my hometown, and I went down there, and I was in line getting some autographs, and this guy was talking about Dr. Death, how one night he got his head exploded and had like over 300 stitches, and I'm like, hey, you're just making stuff up. But then I get the magazines, and I'm reading them, and I find out it was legit, and came back like that night and was working again. So he's a legit tough guy. And uh, it's crazy. People, the, sto- the stories people remember from that far back, like it was probably 20, 25 years prior. And he still remember because it happened here uh, locally. So um, yeah, he's a tough dude. So this is just the start of the Gordy and Doc feud though. So even though Kevin Sullivan's the one that, basically booted Dr. Death from the varsity club, disbanded the varsity club, even though Kevin Sullivan's the one that paid off Terry Gordy to attack Dr. Death in in Japan. Seems like we get a Doc and Gordy feud here, which I'm okay with. I like that much better than a Doc and Kevin Sullivan feud, but just seems odd that Doc's not looking for any type of revenge against Kevin Sullivan. At least not that I remember. We could see something uh, wind, wind up out of that, but I just don't remember anything like that happening. Yeah, I don't either. Do they mention it at all in commentary? Talking about Sullivan paying off Gordy? I have no idea. On this show? I, I, I know didn't, they do it on I didn't listen to the, the show in advance. I just I went over a couple of segments. And that was about it. I was it. wondering if that was something they uh, they initially said and then they kind of just dropped it like some of the other stuff they've been doing. Yeah. Um, it wouldn't surprise out, me in the least. Not going outside after Gordy. Gordy taking a taking a hiatus from the ring here and he's not getting too far. Doc right back at him. And now we're trading blows on the outside and they're ignoring Nick Patrick's count, which can only mean, Oh no, they fooled me. I thought we were for sure going to get a a count out there. (laughs) He gets a nine. Something's going to happen here. These guys are going at 100 miles an hour. Oh, Doc with a crossbody. I thought somebody was going to clothesline somebody's head off there. That was awesome. I missed the elbow and just kept running right into the clothesline. That was awesome. My Gordy there. Gordy back to the floor again. These guys are gas. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, they're feeling the heat, literally. They're sucking wind. Couple of big guys, and and I mean they have good stamina, you know, for big guys these two. And uh, yeah, they're still they're working hard. You can't tell necessarily, but uh, (laughs) with the moves, well, maybe that maybe that move right there, (laughs) that Irish whip looked a little rough. Gordy outside (laughs) for the third time now. What's that? Doc yeah. probably told him on that Irish whip, we're going home, guys. <laughs> it's a wrap. Yeah, they, they gave us eight minutes. We're going six and a half. Look at Gordy. He's crunched yeah. over. <laughs> Gordy sucking so wind in the in, aisle. <laughs> They're chasing Doc each other in slow hitting. motion. It didn't even look like Doc went to hit him. He's like, I guess we got to finish this to the back, but, man, I'm done. Yeah, these guys are... These guys are happy to be out of the ring. And just think, Funk and Steamboat, man, they still got to work 
you know, a 15 minute match or whatever it is later. Doc runs back out into the ring, but he realizes uh, they've been counted out now. He he ran back to the ring, but he, he didn't run after Gordy. <laughs> and it looks like He's a double count out here. Five. Match probably went about six and a half minutes. And what's, what's sad that? is Gordy was clearly walking off leaving and Doc missed his cue or something. He could have just stayed in the ring and won by count out the way it was going there. Yeah, and if anybody's looking for a timestamp right now, we're at 55, 29, 30, 31, 32, 33. And up next is the debut of Norman. So, and we got Mike Justice back out there, I guess, because he didn't take the fireball. So, Dave Meltzer had uh, reported that Norman was scheduled to wrestle Steve Casey here in this match, but I guess Chopper didn't want to do the job. Meltzer didn't say <laughs> that. I just, I just assume that's that's my assumption why Casey's not out here. Although Casey that doesn't seem to be one to argue about doing jobs, so I'm not really sure what happened there. But Mike Justice out here, and here comes Teddy Long with the keys, the keys to the rubber room, says Jim Ross. And here's Tommy Norman. Did not change his, uh, he did not change his shirt. He's out well, there now, and he didn't change. He's been sitting somewhere for quite a while in that shirt, but he smells great right now. <laughs> but all these guys smell wonderful. How fast do you think they showered and got the hell out of there? Oh, I'm telling you, I when I watched the end of the show, Jim Ross said it was Coors time. So he was ready to get the hell out of there. Get the, that's why I thought it was funny when you mentioned when you when you uh, had contacted Ross and Ross had mentioned about they were wanting to get out of there and go get some beers. Uh, it's funny Jim Ross actually mentions going and having a beer at the end of the show when it's closing. Oh yeah, I can't say that. I blame him. So we got so, a seatbelt wrapped around his head. So we got Norman in the ring. He's lost his shoe polish. Teddy Long's taking the shoe polish away from him. His scrubs are too small. It's funny right here. Uh, Jim Ross makes a comment that uh, points out that um, Norman and Teddy Long share uh, many things in common. One of which is uh, they're all they're both missing all their front teeth. <laughs> That's clutch. <laughs> so whose idea was Norman? I don't know. It seems Jim like a lot Ross of the gimmick. To... Well, Jim Ross likes to take credit for. Well, I don't know if he likes to take credit for it, but. He seems to take credit for the the Nancy Sullivan, the the woman, the the nerdy fan part of the story that storyline. Um, he admits yeah, to the dudes, the dynamic dudes. Obviously, Jim Hurd did the ding dongs. I'm not sure who came up with Norman. And oh, well, I know this from Stampede Karachi Crunch. I don't know what he calls it here in the NWA, but it's Ooh. it's over. Two, three. That match went 47 seconds. I bought that splash in the corner. Great move. By, uh, well, he was mucking sing when he used to deliver that. I even remember Craig Johnson yell, shouting Karachi Crunch and Global when he was mucking sing there. <laughs> but uh, it's certainly a lot better than that trip to the Bat Cave where he drops his balls on the guy's face. And what is going on here? Yeah. He came out here on his own volition, but he's going to. There's, there's people coming out with a stretcher. Are they coming out with a stretcher for Mike Justice or, or for Norman? Norman. Okay. As his gut hangs out below his shirt that doesn't quite fit. <laughs> yeah, his scrub's a little too small there. Teddy Long holding those keys, I guess that's how he's controlling Norman. 
I don't know about all this. Yeah, There's I a think part this of me that's too much. And I wish this story was a little better. Um, I like how they can just control him with the keys, that sort of stuff, where he can snap off in the ring, but easily be controlled with the keys. But I'm just not buying it. Yeah, this is a hard sell, especially for if you're an NWA fan at that point in time. Oh, yeah. You see the ding-dongs in Norman? If you're a regular NWA fan, you're done with the NWA after this show. No matter how good Punk and Steamboat is or some of these undercards, guys, I mean, so what do we have? Matches. What do we have going on here? What, what's, what's happening right here? Norman's going to leave on the stretcher? I don't understand this at all. I don't understand this at all. None of this makes any sense to me. He did what he was supposed to do. He listened to Teddy Long about the keys. So why I is think, he getting strapped up? Where is he going? I have no idea. But we're going right now to more Lance Russell and more Battle Royal information. Towns during the Great American Bash will be featuring the Triple Crown, two-ring, King of the Hill Battle Royal, the most exciting Battle Royal in the history of wrestling. Up to 30 men will start in ring number one. As the men are eliminated over the top rope, they move to ring number two, where another Battle Royal begins until one man remains in each ring. These two men will face each other for $25,000, plus the right to compete in the King of the Hill Finals in Baltimore. Don't miss the two-ring Triple Crown Battle Royal when a great American bash comes to an arena near you. Hi, I'm Private Walter Severson Third. Thank you, Lance Russell. And I think on the other side of this bumper here, we're going to have a Freebirds promo. And I just want to pick up the first first few sentences there because I think it's Jimmy Garvin doing the, con- uh, doing the uh, interview, and I just want to hear if he... Uh, cuts his famous line one of his favorite <laughs> either he says it wasn't my fault or pally let's see what jimmy garvin has to say that you have joined the free birds jimmy garvin let me tell you something pally well that didn't take long there's gonna be some <laughs> new rules and regulations made around here that's right all you people with the shaved heads better pay attention we're gonna lay down some new rules all right, I don't even know what that means. Is he talking about the Road Warriors? Shaved heads? I, I don't know. I don't even know what that's in the reference to. They didn't even show their name. They didn't even show their name there on the bumper down there. I just wanted to yeah, hear him say Pally, and that took about two seconds. They're knocking it out of the park tonight, production-wise. He looks great, though. You could clearly tell he's on the juice. I don't think he ever looked that good when he was running around with Precious and them, as far as look goes, but... Looks pretty dang good here. Even Gordy's got a pair of the shades on. That's pretty cool. <laughs> those shades are those shades are next level. We need to find a pair and give them. Away. I'm not giving. I'm not giving those away. I keep them for myself. If I find a pair of shades like that, they're, they're I'll give them to me. <laughs> well, maybe we can find three pair. One for me, one for you, one for a lucky winner, huh? We can be the free birds. up next up next we have another tag team match coming up it's going to be the steiners and their first ever competitive match as a tag team they're going to take on uh what used to be the varsity club captain mike rotunda and kevin sullivan that's all that's left of the team here's a uh i think this is the twix commercial (laughs) theme They edited it out on this? Oh, yeah, you know. Oh, yeah, you know they edited that out. 
<laughs> we get Brian Pillman video here as he's working out in the gym. He's doing some wrestling moves. He's coming to the NWA. I'd have to imagine he's going to be here pretty damn soon because he's been coming for a while now. He was Glacier before it was cool. So we, we they've already shown we see highlights of Rip Brian Pillman in the ring here. So we know he's already been doing uh, working some of the tapings. So I don't know what's taking him so long to get this guy on TV. Clearly, he's clearly leaps and bounds better than some of the other stuff they've been introducing. Yeah. They, how, they, how great would this show have been? This Air Pillman, the Pillman debut instead of uh, uh, the Ding Dongs debut or the Ding Dongs. Yeah, they rushed the ding-dongs, but they, they saved Brian Pillman for a later date. Stupid. Hey, this is prime TV here on TBS. You got to get the ding-dongs out there. I guess. I guess that's what happens when you're running this show like Jim Herb was. Here's Sullivan and Rotunda headed to the ring. Rotunda's been working the house. He's been off TV since Wrestle War, uh, but he's been working the house shows against Scott Steiner and what were called suplex matches on the undercard. <laughs> Uh, so Rotunda goes from world tag team champion, world television champion, captain of the varsity club to working underneath. And, and now he's randomly back with Kevin Sullivan after a month. I want to know Man, whose he, Cheerios he, he pissed in. Right. He must be loving this show. I mean, this building, the dude's sweating all the time. Anyway, could you imagine? Oh him my in this gosh. Show? Like, imagine him in the IRS outfit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for those, for those, oh, here's Ooh. Missy Hyatt looking. Oh my, Missy Hyatt looking. Yeah, but look at pretty nice. I, you know, I I hate to be a wrestling fan first and then a man second, but uh, the wrestling fan of me has to point out that she just got misted and she's coming out smiling. She looks amazing. And I'm supposed to to buy this storyline now. It just totally shits all over Eddie Gilbert coming back for that fireball revenge earlier. She looks per- she, she looks as if nothing even happened to her. Yeah, I mean, they're almost saying, you know what? We don't even we know people ain't watching our syndication so show. So, um, Missy, go out there and do you. That's almost what they're admitting to here. And I didn't really remember this match very well, so this is actually one of the ones I, I went back and watched before we did the show. And I noticed right at the beginning of the uh, match, Jim Ross points, he says, Scott Steiner has unlimited potential, and they, him and Cottle start pointing out all the uh, accolades uh, Steiner has uh, in, his, in his amateur, and then they also bring up all of his you know, potential he has based on his ability in the ring. So I just thought that was funny that he has unlimited potential, and you think of everything he winds up doing. <laughs> yeah. To be honest, he kind of met that potential. I mean, it took a company to die uh, for him to get to that spot, but he made it. Yeah, you know, when as this match gets going, I'd forgotten to mention because that Norman match was so short. If you remember back on TV last week, Teddy Long had promised a second surprise here at the Clash, but that doesn't happen. Apparently, it was supposed to be what would eventually become known as Doom, but. Here it was supposed to be Ron Simmons and Butch Reed debuting as the Ebony Experience. That name sound familiar to some people out there? Booker T and Stevie Ray actually wound up using that name in the uh, GWF Global in 1992. Makes me wonder. I think Eddie Gilbert might have been there when they debuted, so I'm wondering. I, clearly, Eddie must have took the name from here in 89, but Gilbert was booking on the booking committee, so 
was this an Eddie Gilbert idea, the Ebony experience? And he recycled it in global kind of interesting how you can put things like that together over time. But basically I guess Ron Simmons refused to do the gimmick. I don't know what the gimmick exactly is. I don't know. Uh, Meltzer reported he didn't like the name. I, I hate to think that somebody's going to quit wrestling over a, a tag team name, but supposedly here at the clash, they were to debut. They uh, Simmons basically, I don't know if he quits or goes home or what the deal is, but they're, they're basically allowing them to do so. They're, they're like, if you can go find something else better to do, you go do that. And then by the weekend, Simmons and, and the NWA have made up. He's starting the team with Butch Reed on, on some house shows. So the Ebony experience obviously doesn't happen. They're not with Teddy Long, at least not here in 89 at this point. But, um, yeah, so they were supposed to debut here on this program, and it doesn't happen. So Teddy Long's surprise doesn't take place. That was the ding dong scheduled for this card, no matter what, I, or did they kind of take take the place? They had to throw something together. Yeah, I have no idea. I mean, obviously that gear was ready, so they were yeah. coming. They were coming very, very soon, no matter what. So, good question. I mean, it very well could be that, but this makes me wonder if that was when. Yeah, see, there's that bandana. Yeah, I see it now. I I got a better look at it this time. Why is Nick Patrick rolling him back over? And another thing I've noticed, you know, throughout the show, and it's it's not not hard to do, is that the the format of Clash of the Champions has clearly changed. It used to be about having four or five big time matches, a lot of championship matches, and a um, long match. That was a nice suplex, by the way. There, but tonight, man, they're all over the place. We get a lot of boom, 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 quick matches, squash matches promos, vignettes, music videos. It's a little bit of everything. They're throwing everything against the wall here. Yeah, they're trying to appeal to everybody. They want those channel channel surfers and things like that to maybe tune in and see something that interests them and they stick around and watch the rest of the show. It feels like a, um, a souped-up Saturday night episode uh, that we've been watching. It's where it's like angle overload and... Uh, I'm entertained. It's not the greatest of action, but uh, there's a lot going on. Like you said, it's busy, and I, I really enjoy this show. It goes so fast, and there's so much on it that you can you got to digest. Yeah, and, it's uh, uh, it's really messing with my head here because I'm not sure whether I want to like it or not. Um, from a wrestling aspect, I don't know that I've seen anything uh, that I would deem worthy of, of being a good match yet here on the entire show. However... Everything's moving along so fast that I'm enjoying some of the videos. I'm enjoying some of the vignettes. I'm, I enjoyed the Norman squash. I thought that just be, being able to mark out for the Karachi crunch was kind of cool. But, you know, everything yeah. before and after the match, I wasn't such a big fan of. But, I mean, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of little takeaways I find here, and I'm sure this match winds up being good from bell to bell. Oh, yeah, but, you, can't, you can't go wrong with these guys. But, I mean, just in general, I... I don't know if this is my kind of clash. Oh, it's almost too busy. And it's like their Saturday night program. It's almost too busy. Like I don't, I can handle it in doses, but I don't know if they continue Ooh. to book like this. Wow. That was dangerous. Very dangerous drop He's there. Still- <laughs> Steiner, Scott Steiner might be the next one out uh, with an injury. Woo. Well, at least there's pads out there. Or, or what? Oh, yeah. man, look at his back. <laughs> I don't think that's supposed to happen. I think he's supposed to get draped over the top. Oh, man, he just threw the fucking steps at him. 
<laughs> I don't think he was happy with Scotty there. Oh, he <laughs> Scott's yeah. selling that arm that looks like a legit sell. And you got to remember, Scott's still, I mean, he's not really a rookie, but he's a rookie here in the NWA. He's only been here a month or so. And Sullivan making him, making him pay for maybe blowing a spot or, or something there. And a boot to the noggin. Because Sullivan wouldn't try this in any, any year after this with Scott Steiner because he, Sullivan would be the one paying dearly. Oh, yeah. I just can't believe he took the stairs and threw them at him. Insane. Without him really even being in a position to protect himself. He was yeah. in no position to protect himself. And Sullivan just launched it. Nice drop kick by Rotunda there. Oh, yeah. He has a great drop kick. And I had read, yeah, you forget about that because he certainly didn't use that very much as IRS. Oh, oh no, absolutely not. But I, I think I read somewhere in the observers here that Rotunda wasn't necessarily, oh, yeah, look at Scott's back there. Was that Ooh. from that bump or what, what was I think that? It's from the, it was, I think it was from that suplex to the outside. Yeah, that's what I mean, from the bump to the floor. Yeah, that's, yeah, a that's pretty what, nasty. That's an immediate bruise, man. That's that's pretty nasty. I seen and it then, when he was thrown into the post. I seen it on his back, but yeah, that's that's nasty. He misses the right off there, but connects with that clothesline. Oh, this is probably the best. This is probably the best Rotunda's looked this entire year. Yeah, I'm with you, man. I, I think he's picking up his game because he, he doesn't want to get lost in the shuffle, which he has been at this point. Man, that's nasty. Rick tagged in, but I guess Nick Patrick. So Tommy Young was out there for what? One match? And he's gone again? So it looked like. Yeah. He got the Norman match, didn't he? That's what was before this. There's so oh. much going on. I don't even remember what the hell happened before this. Yeah, I think it was I don't Norman. Know what. Hot tag to Rick Steiner. Finally, Rick comes in. Oh, and it's old friendships here. Steiner and Rotunda in the corner. Sullivan comes right over. Steiner's going to do the 10 punch on both of them. Nice. Oh, this is awesome. Fun stuff. Sullivan's selling it great. They're, they're, they were so creative. Steiner and then even Sullivan working with Steiner on coming up with ideas. Double clothesline by the Steiner brothers. <laughs> drop, drop kick. Sullivan goes rolling out. <laughs> There's a chair in the ring. Patrick's. Kicking it around, Sullivan pulls it out, slides it back in. I think the wrong side's facing up. I can't really tell, but looks like we're going for a spot here on it. Rotunda going to suplex Scott Steiner's already injured back right on the chair, oh, that was back. on the wrong side of the chair. And uh, Scott's that was, taking a beating tonight. And Patrick counts the three, and Rotunda and Sullivan surprisingly defeat the Steiner brother. I didn't see that coming. Rick just returns and. Steiner's first real match together as a team. And we haven't even seen Rotunda since the pay-per-view. And, but it Sullivan and Rotunda like get the win. Things. And that's what happens when one of the guys in the match are the booker. You think so? No. I mean, no. I, <laughs> I don't think so. It just sounded funny. sounded good. Sullivan seems smarter than that. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure this leads, you know, it leads into the bash. So it makes complete sense booking wise. 
Yeah. And don't they wrestle again on the next Clash? Clash 8? I can't remember who the Steiners fight when... Are they fighting Doom? Oh, no. I Clash 8? Mm, I don't think so. I don't know, though, man. I'm... When Robin Green screws them over? I can't remember right. who they're fighting. And we got Jim Cornette ringside here. He's going to cut a promo just like the birds did. At least they're trying to give the the two teams a promo time to put over the big finals coming up. So the idea, and there's Jim Cornette without a <laughs> his name's That's missing like the from the Chiron time. too. At this point, you think they just give up putting it on the screen? But during this promo, yeah. Cornette talks about the birds being the top tag team for ten years, and the Midnight Express being the top tag team for the last five years, and. He points something out here that I really hadn't put two and two together on before, and that's that the Freebirds and the Midnight Express have never met before. This is their first meeting ever, which would mean a lot more if Terry Gordy was involved, but it's still kind of interesting to think that these two teams have been around for as long as they have, and they've never met each other, uh, you know, at least one time. Yeah, especially in, what, the Mid-South days? That's where they would kind of run into each other, right? I don't know if the Birds came through there at that point. I think they were working... Well, in '84, they tried to try to get a job up there, up in New York, and, and then they worked with the AWA. And the birds were pretty much everywhere, but I, they'd <clears throat> been played out in Mid South long before that, I, I believe. Gotcha. Did the Midnight's ever work Dallas? Yeah, they came through Dallas after they left the Mid South <laughs> before they came to over to Crockett. I don't know who this guy is. I didn't take notes on these guys, so I, I have no idea who these people are or what they're saying. This may be the governor. I have no idea. Yeah, I think this was the governor. Another thing I thought was funny during that Cornette promo was he basically implied that uh, not for nobody to worry about Terry Gordy because he was going to keep Terry Gordy at bay. As long as Cornette was at ringside, he was going to take care of Terry Gordy. I could really see that happening. <laughs> right, yeah. But Jim did say it with conviction, so I, I, at least he at least he ma- made it sound sound realistic. And here we got a TV title match. I think this is our first championship match of the night on Clash of the Champions. Little Stingers headed to the ring. Their faces painted up. They're the only ones that aren't sweating bullets walking to the ring. These little youngsters there. Sting on his way out to defend the TV title against Wild Bill Irwin. Bill Irwin's been here a whole week or two. And he's already getting a TV championship match as he cracks that bullwhip. Looked like a soldier was yelling at those kids there. I don't know what the hell was going on with that. <laughs> yeah, he's like doing their command, like their commanding officer or something. So it's nice to finally hey, have a champion here. What's that? The hell did Bill Irwin do or Steve Irwin here do? This is Bill That's Irwin. Bill, my That's still a Steve, Steve Irwin. Irwin. <laughs> Bill Irwin do to get a title shot here. That's a, that's a whip, not a stingray. I don't know. I guess he came in. Yes. Good way to get him squashed and uh, irrelevant quickly. Uh, oh, Sting's picking the crowd back up. You know what that means? They're going to be dead for whatever follows. Well, yeah, you can tell who they're looking for. You know, you start got... looking at the guys in the crowd; they're they're starting to lose their shirts. You got a oh, black yeah. guy over there on the right; his whole chest is covered in sweat. 
<laughs> there's a a, cra- a cracker there in the middle there. He he needs to put a shirt back on. There's the guy over there on the left. Yeah, they're they're the clothes are getting taken off here. There's a couple of guys up there in the top up right corner. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's insane. I can't say I blame him. No, it I mean, looks, it's, it's just that it's damn looks, hot. Uh, yeah. It looks miserable, it really. Unbearable. Yeah, it looks unbearable. That's why they're all standing up, maybe separating a little bit, because it looks like they're on bleachers. So I think they're just standing up and moving around. To And this girl got two shirts on. You're crazy. She's supporting the troops, man. That's right. Yeah, I'd be, man, I'd be leaving. I don't think there's anything left on this card that would be going to keep me. If I came to see, like, well, Steamboat and Funk. Like that, uh, yeah, I guess. You're not going to leave for before the main event. Well, you know, some kids just like to be entertained with somebody like the looks of Sting, and that's all they care about. But this crowd looks more adult-oriented. Yeah, so. well, when I was a kid, I didn't dictate when we left the show. <laughs> so really it was irrelevant when I came to watch. That's true too. I bet you these tickets were probably free. Probably for the families of the soldiers and stuff like that. That's my guess. You know, speaking of uh, free tickets or, or speaking of ticket sell- sales in general, I was reading right around this time, the NWA ran a show at the Silverdome, where WrestleMania three had, had uh, taken place, and they sold just over eight hundred tickets, eight hundred tickets to the Silverdome, which holds at least legitimately eighty some thousand people. They sold eight hundred tickets. What are they doing? They sold uh, like nine hundred for Clash Five. So there's clearly a major issue. There's clearly a major issue in uh, the ticket sale department, far as far as the advertising goes and and whatnot, because it's just inexcusable to draw 800 some people anywhere uh, for an NWA show with guys like this on it. Sting, well, they blew that spot there. Sting looked like he was going for a reverse body block, and I don't know, I wasn't sure there for a moment if it was a DDT or a spinebuster, but I guess Irwin laid Sting out. That was a nice recovery there by Irwin. My question is, though, about what you was just saying. Why are you going to those buildings where they're that big? Well, like, yeah, I don't get Oh, this is great right here. Look at this stinger splash from behind. Irwin sells it pretty damn good. Oh. Schoolboy and Sting takes it home. They protect Irwin. He doesn't get put in the scorpion. I like the surprise finish. Match just goes a little over three minutes. Perfect amount of time. In and out. Don't expose Bill Irwin. For, for, oh, Tommy Young just got whipped. I don't think that was intentional, oh. but he took it. He took it right across the back. <laughs> he so looked back pissed. at him. He's pissed off. <laughs> Stop it. I only like getting whipped in the bedroom, Bill. <laughs> and <laughs> there's the roll-up. I love Tommy Young, though. I apologize. <laughs> oh, my God. And Sting gets the win. The code <laughs> word is the secret word is banana. <laughs> Oh, man. oh who do we have here? It's Gator Scott Hall. It's your boy, Gator Scott Hall. Do you think um, this is how people hunt gators? They they walk around with a fucking stick? 
<laughs> and kind of no, poke at them? You think that's all not. you hunt gators? I've never hunted a gator, so I'm not sure. I, I, I'm just curious because, uh, and then I love the package of moves here, hip tosses and arm bars and shit. It's like uh, he wrestles like he hunts gators. Hip tosses and arm bars are like the equivalent of poking a gator with a fucking stick. He wrestles yeah, the guys the way man. he, yeah, what's that? If I'm Scott Hall and these guys come to me, hey, man, you're going to be hunting gators. We're going to do these vignettes where you're pissing off alligators. How the hell do you agree to this? Uh, he's getting getting a shot at the big time. Going to get maybe a pay, big payday. Maybe uh, expecting oh expecting some uh, a big push. Uh, he's also, isn't he from Florida? Like legitimately from, from Florida? He's probably been around gators a few times. He's probably... Not necessarily as uh, scared of a, a gator as maybe uh, you or I. The closest I've yeah, ever come to it, an alligator yeah. is uh, at the zoo. So. <laughs> yeah. You couldn't pay me enough to – look at that crew member back there, man. He's done. Gator Scott Hall coming to the NWA very soon. I can't wait to, to see him, though. He had a great look, even there. He looks like a jacked up Magnum PI. Oh, he looks great. He looks he looks uh, tremendous. Unfortunately, his time there doesn't doesn't seem to last very long because I know he's in Puerto Rico by 1990, working there for quite a quite a bit of time. And if you're working nine, you know Puerto Rico, I, there's something wrong with your work, your your skills, or, or something. You would think uh, instead of uh, looking like that and not being able to get a job with with Vince or or even stay here in the NWA. I'm not really sure what the deal was and why he was in and out of the NWA so quick here in 89. I know he works the battle Royal at the bash, but I'm not really sure how much longer he stays after that. And then of course, Vince doesn't even, you know, then the diamond stud doesn't even come around until 91. And then Vince still him, and the rest is history at that point. Absolutely. Look at Jim Ross pretending to take this microphone into there. You see the cord. He's dragging the cord yeah. along with him. Let's see if he brings the cord. But he does bring the cord. Now. I thought maybe the cord would disappear here or something. Now, basically, Jim Ross, they claim, I don't know for this to be a fact or whatever, but uh, supposedly this was recorded the day before the clash. So that's how they're, they're speaking like the clash is tomorrow. And uh, he's visiting Ric Flair at his home. And this segment goes on for well over seven minutes. It's a long, drawn-out interview with Ric Flair, a very <laughs> humble Ric Flair here. Uh, the gist of it is, though, it is uh, Flair runs down the list of his injuries he sustained here. The fact is he sustained no injuries. This is, this is all an angle. Although the injuries he lists are injuries he sustained in 87. And it took him about a year or so to recover from those injuries. He just continued to work right through them, though. And uh, they mentioned at some point here in this promo that uh, on July 1st, Ric Flair would make an announcement, a, a press conference announcement on the future of him as an active wrestler and the NWA World Heavyweight Championship. And somehow it takes them seven minutes to get to that. Just absolutely too well, long for me. Was this like a regular press conference or did this happen on like an actual TV show that you could watch? I'm just curious. I don't know. We haven't got there yet, brother. I don't, I, if, if it airs, I, I don't remember it. Yeah, I was just thinking, you know, um, this would be a really good avenue to drive home uh, your new show that they haven't even really mentioned yet. The Power Hour. So, uh, right. Yeah. I thought that would have been really cool. You know, hey, Rick Flair's announcement is going to be live or 
on this show. Come join us for the new ep- new new show, the Power Hour. Um, right, and the Power Hour does debut two Fridays uh, from now on the twenty third of June. It has an odd start time of uh, ten twenty. I noticed when I was looking in uh, when I was researching the show. So I'm not sure if it followed a Braves game or what was going on there. It's likely the issue. But what a what a odd time to randomly make your debut episode of the Power Hour. Yeah, you would think that um, they would make sure like they can debut a brand new show when there's really no chance of interruptions. I get Braves baseballs every night. You ain't gonna be able to. Um, get away from that but at the same time you should make an effort to put this show on before the Braves even start that way you can set the time going forward or I don't know debut a show when baseball season's out yeah it seems like an odd time to debut a show here in the summer months although there's not a lot of new content being put out during the summer months on on network television so it may be a wise time to do it but uh, we'll see how it plays out. I, I don't remember a whole lot about the early episodes of the Power Hour, so it'll be fun to watch those when we get to those, which won't be very much longer. Next episode. Yeah, and I'm not sure. Power Hour. I'm not really sure what's going on with the announcers either, because I know Ross and Cornette are scheduled to host the Power Hour. Ross is already hosting the Saturday Night Program, um, but there's talk of bringing in yet another announcer and I'm not exactly sure what, what the idea is for unless they're going to throw them on one of the syndicated shows because the, the melts had stated right around this point in time that they had given Ken Resnick a shot. He had done some uh, dark matches ring announcing and, and, and I mean, um, doing play by play. And then there was also a discussion of Craig to George, which uh, I thought that guy was atrocious. The fact that he even made it to the UWF Abrams UWF is beyond me. I, I never liked Craig DeGeorge. <laughs> the only thing I remember of Craig DeGeorge is the uh, the WrestleMania Four Coliseum video. Um, his he lost his, With his voice. voice. And he's oh yeah, about, yeah. We had numerous parties. Craig DeGeorge. Yeah, me and my friend make fun of. That. We laugh every single time. We laughed every single time we seen it, and we still throw it up. We'll say parties, and uh, he knows exactly what I'm talking about. So. Um, He's infamous in my wrestling fandom, but uh, yeah, he was not very good at all. Oh, you know what? And by the way, um, <clears throat> I had mentioned when we when we did last episode, I had mentioned that um, we saw a job guy by the name of uh, a big job, jacked up job guy by the name of the Bounty Hunter, and I I suspected it might be Al Green. I did do some research, and it was indeed Al Green. So, just for anybody who was curious about that. You know your stuff, man. And um, another guy coming in, supposedly, is Wildfire Tommy Rich. Apparently, they told Tommy Rich he can come in, but only if he gets into ring, uh, better condition, more ring, a better ring shape. <laughs> it seems to me <laughs> like you, you, don't, you don't give a guy a job that, that's not already in good ring shape. I mean, when you have to tease a guy like, hey, man, if, if you agree to get in ring shape, then, then you can come in. It just seems like it's kind of pointless to get the, give this guy a job to begin with. If, <laughs> but uh, right. yeah, so I I do know Tommy Rich winds up here very shortly. 
So, or, or pretty damn soon. Next, in the next few months, at the very least. So he must get in a better shape pretty fast. Because I know Tommy Rich was looking a little doughy working down there in Georgia. When does he not look doughy? And this promo is just going on and on and on and on. Yeah. I mean, he's convincing, but... Um... It looks like uh, Ross is wrapping this up, though. Another guy heading in, you know, also besides Tommy uh, Tommy Rich is Tom Zink, and the, he winds up being the Z-Man. And he'll, I know he's here... Uh, by the end of the summer, he's uh, in the AWA at this point. I know he was getting a run near the top of the the promotion, and, and for good reason. There wasn't a whole lot left there in the AWA by 1989. I remember they do the Battle Royal for the World Heavyweight Title after Lawler basically you know <laughs> refuses to to come back and drop the belt. And uh, I think Zink and, and Zabisco are the final two guys in the, in the actual Battle Royal. So they basically steal Zink away from Vern Gagne. And, and so there goes another main eventer or whatever, whatever you want to call him there for the AWA. The sad, sad, sad story of the, uh, the end of the AWA. Yeah. Seems like everybody that they put up there was getting poached except maybe Larry Zabisco. And we're going to, I think up next is the World Tag Team Title Finals. Yeah, and, and then we got the main event here. And obviously that is the case because here comes Michael Hayes to the ring. Strutting his stuff right back out to the ring again. Michael Hayes having to wrestle twice in the same night on 100 degrees, or, or more than 100 degrees. It's just uh, <laughs> very intriguing. Because this guy, this guy can't wrestle one time in an in, in air conditioning arena. So look at the look at the crowd, look at the crowd or the lack thereof. Look at that, look how thinned out yeah, the crowd has become. Yeah. And you know you you know that's because of the heat, but it's also questionable that they they did that damn near ten minute promo with Ric Flair, which the crowd wasn't wasn't able to see. There's even more people with no shirts on, by the way, as well. That's that's become obvious. It's it must be unbearable at this point to have ran off this many fans. Yeah, to run this many fans off, it it must be absolutely unbearable in there. I've seen. Eventually, they went outside to get some fresh air, and they're like, you know what? I'm not going back in. <laughs> and that's unfortunate here because all we have left, I believe, are the two world title matches: the world tag team title finals, and then Funk the and or, matches, well, yeah. and the yeah, the two best matches on the on the show. And then the, uh, the yeah, Steamboat and Funk match, which they're competing to basically try to be the number one contender for Ric Flair's world title. Wow, look at that. Cornette blasts, or Polly blasts Cornette going into the match, takes him out. And now Cornette's down and done. Yeah. And now Cornette's what? down and done for the match. And guess what? Cornette said he was going to be out there to take care of Terry Gordy. Not that that was ever going to happen anyway. But now we have no Jim Cornette, which is a, a fun little story here. And guess what? The cameraman missed that one too, or the producer did. <laughs> and look at this. Gosh. There's a, a horseshoe. Horseshoe. 
and the tennis racket. And the dynamic dudes are out here. A little foreshadowing here, huh? I, I, you know, I know Cornette's done a gazillion interviews, and I still couldn't tell you what his initial response was supposed to be when they told him he was going to be managing the dynamic dudes. I'm going to have to go look, look and see what, what he had to say about that. Oh, he's talked about it plenty. I just I can't remember what he, what he said. It seems like uh, Cornette's like a team guy. I don't know. Yeah, obviously you have the Midnight Express and you don't really have you Have you ever listened to Jim Cornette? <laughs> I don't care to listen to Jim Cornette. His his thoughts and his beliefs. I get he's a wrestling historian and it's his story to be told, but I can really care less what he has to say. And the dudes carry Cornette out, and I really don't understand the story there. Like, why did the dudes come and help him help carry him out? Where was Norman Stretcher? <laughs> right. <laughs> So he wasn't a team player. He cared about the Midnights and himself, and that was it. Is that what you're saying? No, not a, not really. I mean, he, he loved the business. I'm just saying that I don't know that anybody, team player or not, is going to be excited about managing the dynamic dudes. Although, I, I mean, I'm not saying he crapped all over them. I mean, obviously he knew them on a personal level and knew that they really couldn't control what they were being, you know, you know basically forced yeah, to do. Yeah, that's what I... That's what I'd like to think. You know, he maybe he knows that they have some talent there. I mean, we can't discredit I mean, Shane Douglas and Johnny Ace. They're not horrible workers by any means, especially Shane Douglas at this point. I thought he was pretty damn good. And he becomes a really good tag wrestler with, you know, Ricky Steamboat and stuff. Um, so the potential's there. The gimmick is what hurt him. The, the gimmick is stupid and it didn't work. And that's what destroyed it before it even took off, before they even had a chance. So. I can see him like, you know what, I'll give it my best shot. And if anything's going to get you guys over, it'll be me. Um, and, uh, well, I don't think it worked. And uh, interesting move there with Stanley hitting that in Zagiri. That was nice. It was different. And he's going for the karate kicks now. Funny thing is, is Stan actually does know martial arts, but the you wouldn't know it from the, the types of kicks he used in the ring. And I think some of these guys here in this match are are already looking like they're gassed and we're just getting going. Like even Bobby Eaton, who's like usually, and I don't know, that could be ring rust as well. But Ooh. even Bobby Eaton's moving a little slower than usual here. I don't know who everybody's yeah. yelling at over to, over to the right. The cameraman. No, there's, they're yelling into the crowd. Gordy's over there. I don't know if there's a fight going on over there. No, there. It's just a bunch of unruly oh, bu- fans. A lot of drunks. Just a bunch of drunken uh, military guys having a good time. You know time. those guys are having fun. Yeah, they're off. They're off work, <laughs> so to speak. They could act a little crazy and have a good time. And God bless so them. Sure man. You know, that's that's one thing I'll say, man. Is that has to feel so good to just have some entertainment thrown your way, even if it's not the best wrestling action of all time. At least it gives you something to go out and cheer for and, and cuss at and you know, it's uh gives you something to do. Oh yeah. 
Absolutely. And the, the birds, I mean, they're doing their best here to get that heat going, and they're getting it. So, with how see, hot it do is. Do you see Jimmy Garvin and Michael Hayes oh. standing outside the ring right now? That's that's what they do best. So, unfortunately, yeah. you know, the match has to be had in the ring. And so now we're back to the actual wrestling portion of the match. Well, they got a 10-minute match. At, did you see Tommy Young there? He's he's got no sleeves and he's he's taking his arms and trying to trying to rub his head on the on the uh, short sleeves of his shirt trying to get the sweat off of his head. He looks absolutely Look at his arm. He's making gestures uh to some of the his wrestlers. His arm is listening. Yeah. He looks dead here. I'd like to hear Tommy Young's take on this show. Now, granted, Jim Ross had to sit there all this time in a suit. But, uh, I mean, I I don't know. I think I'd rather do that than than deal with what Tommy Young's going through here. He's he's not as, you you know, Tommy Young's usually the the sliding referee. He's all over the place. He's up, he's down, he's, you know, he's everywhere. He's sliding out of the ring to make the count. And here he's kind of staying in the corner, waiting for his spots, doing everything he has to do, but not not so much much more than that right now. He's <laughs> Tommy Young may in uh and even Nick Patrick are probably MVPs of this show. Oh yeah. Absolutely. And I don't know who thought this was a good idea what working into working a show here in North Carolina in a an arena in the Ooh, middle of the summer. Nice yeah. Always a nice bump by Bobby, but yeah, definitely good job there. But I just don't know who booked this. Like, who thought this was a great idea? Well, this arena has no air conditioning. It's the middle of the summer. We're in North Carolina. It's going to be on TV. Let's book it. Uh, I don't know. I wonder. I think Jr. Well, Jr. didn't book arenas. He's not in charge of such things. Somebody had to mentioned it. Cause this is isn't it like the the birthday of the the army or something coming up. I know it wasn't like July fourth, but it was like an actual birthday for the army or something. They played it off for some reason. Yeah, I know like that. I know. I know a lot of the like guys. There goes eating into the rail again. I I know the uh, a lot of the soldiers say happy birthday here during the bumpers in between the commercial breaks. I I didn't notice what they. I just assumed they were talking about the. The 4th of July coming up here in a couple weeks. But you very well could be right. I don't know about a whole lot about all that stuff. I don't I don't either, but I've, I've, obviously I've seen this show a lot, and I'm pretty sure it's something with like the military birthday or the Army's birthday or something like that. So I'm wondering if they just try to get some good favor. I mean, this doesn't feel tasteless or um, taking a, you know, trying to use the military to get over or something like that. Something like the WWF would do like with Hogan running up to WrestleMania seven, all that stuff with the, whatever the hell he did. Um, this just feels like, though, you know, they went to Fort Bragg and hung out with the boys for, for a day or two and did some things. And just like you said, gave him some reprieve and some entertainment for him. Um, but yeah, this is scorching. I bet you this is a Jim Hurt idea. Eaton working over Garvin in the corner. And, uh, you know, the Birds debut here, the Garvin and Hayes version of the Birds debut here, they'll, they'll work for the next three years as the Freebirds. They work through the summer of 1992 before they, they both basically go into semi-retirement or Garvin basically retirement for the most part. 
other than a match here or there. Well, hey, man. We got that awesome uh, audition for him to be a uh, interviewer Boom. in the WWE. Stan Lane. Sorry to cut you off, man, but Stan Lane using Hayes' own DDT against him there. I had to mark out for that. It looked about as good as Hayes' too. <laughs> yeah, but I, I know what you're talking about. In the Hidden Gym section, there's that Jimmy Garvin uh, interview segment where he's basically in a dark interview segment trying out for a job with the WWF as uh, a new color commentator or something along those lines. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. And we get the hot tag, so we're going to the finish here. And the midnight. It feels like nothing happened in this match. And you're right. It really does. And I don't think really anything did happen in this match. But you wouldn't know it by their bodies. These guys look like they've had they've worked a, an Iron Man match at this point. Bobby Eaton's just drenched you in know- water. His his hair's oh, like yeah. just walked out of a shower. Double flapjack. That's their finisher. Eaton going for the cover. He's looking over at Gordy like, "Come on, man! It's clearly a spot coming." Gordy shoves Tommy Young. How's that not a disqualification? Give the Midnight's the title right now. And now the ref goes over out of nowhere. Young goes over to Lane, and here we go. Power bomb on Eaton, and the oh, birds. Hey. Obviously gonna steal this one. Two, in there. Three. And this Five one's over. Measure. It's over. We have new world tag team champions and it's the frickin' Freebirds. Oh jeez. We have what, one clean finish? Two out of this whole entire tournament? Yeah. Two matches. And I'll give him this That's- one because this was a. Uh, a run-in from a guy that actually makes sense. He's involved with the, with the team, at least, and it's a, it's a heel team, so they're going to cheat to win. So I'll, I'll let this yeah. one slide. I, I, but, um, yeah, this whole tournament's just been about, about angles and, and screw jobs. Oh, Eaton yeah, comes down. <laughs> and you got to protect the Midnights, too. They just came back, so you don't want them to job clean. It makes sense. Both of these guys are relatively new. Uh, Jimmy Garvin, brand new. Midnight's been back a couple weeks. Um, it's really the only way you can do it, to be honest. That was probably the only finish you can come up with. And uh, my timestamp right now is at uh, an hour and 45, 23, 24, 25, 26. And that's where we're at right now. As we head into the main event, which is uh, Terry Funk taking on Steamboat. Steamboat being the number one contender for Ric Flair's world title, and Terry Funk being ranked number 10. So a win here for Funk would automatically, clearly boost him up to the top top of the ladder, which is uh, the whole entire story of this match. I don't know if people left from the front row and everybody from the top just kind of moved down or what, but it looks like overly full on the bottom and then completely empty on top. And this has happened on every name. There's no name on the bumper. So I'm wondering if this is like, Oh, it's live. So there's no way you can do post edits to add it in. So they messed up on every single one of those. Somebody didn't do their job, man. How do you do this? Big show after big show. How do you mess up like this? I had to quote Tony Schiavone. It's WCW, or the NWA here. They're just, just pathetic. Doing, they're just doing, it's uh, WCW doing WCW things, man. This never ends. It, this, this type of stuff goes on for years. 
Jim Ross sitting down there. I want to see if Jim Ross and Bob Cottle have their jackets on when we close the show because they they don't have them on right now calling the show. Not that I blame them. In fact, if I was JR, I would have loosened that damn tie or took it off. That's what I'm saying, dude. I, your neck has to be suffocating with a bow tie or a tie on. There's I don't Bonnie. Care what you're trying to present here. Of course, Bonnie makes it to the crowd. She's talking with the soldier. She ain't sweating. Hey, soldier boy. Sweating. No. She's been sitting somewhere in an air-conditioned vehicle. She's only out here for this steamboat match. Are you kidding me? In her leopard print shirt. <laughs> steamboat looks like he's been hanging out in the same car as her. He doesn't look like he's sweating at all where other well, guys he's, are walking down you know he blown up. You, you know he's wherever she is. She tells him where to be. I mean, he's, he's the gonna... ultimate good guy. It's, yeah, not even was, a, it's not even a gimmick or a work. It's that legit. was hilarious. <laughs> the last episode we did with Terry Funk calling Steamboat's kid a, <laughs> a, a pig-nosed half-breed. And, and the epitome of a good guy is Ricky Steamboat, who comes out to confront Funk because that pissed him off, right? That would, that would piss any baby face off. That, that's how Ole Anderson turned baby face on the horseman. Tully Blanchard called his kid a snot-nosed punk. That's all it took. And, and, and here, Rick, here Terry Funk calls Ricky Steamboat's kid a pig-nosed half-breed. It brings Steamboat out. And the first thing Steamboat does is apologize for interrupting Terry Funk's interview time, but, but he, he needed to talk to him about the comments he made. Just, it's just <laughs> insane. So I, I know this is your interview time, buddy, but um, can we discuss you know, what just happened there? Which just transpired, you know. It's just a classic oh steamboat, man. It doesn't get more baby face, milk toast nonsense than that. Look at these slaps. Look at these chops. Great just stuff. Awesome. And these guys do not let us down. I, I, I do remember that. I haven't seen this match in a long time. I didn't go back and, and look at it when I was uh, researching or reviewing a couple things on the show. Uh, but I do remember these guys killing it. And the last time I watched this, I didn't even realize the whole no heat thing. This is something I, I picked up on after the fact when I was reading some things. And uh, just to know that these guys do what they end up doing here in this weather or this, in this heat, I should say. And uh, they do stuff that nobody else on the card was even capable of doing. We saw Doc and Gordy get gassed. We saw the Freebirds and the Midnights get gassed. And guys like uh, Gordy and, and, guy, and Bobby Eaton, they never you never saw them get hey, tired. Yeah. Oh, what, 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 I don't know why. I can't remember what it shows. I know it's a clash, but that two out of three falls between Flair and Eaton. Eaton didn't look tired, and that thing went like 30-plus minutes. He right. didn't look tired at all. And, and you know, the uh, only guy that – The only guy that like – Yeah, and Terry Funk may be the only one here that this shouldn't affect because Terry Funk grew up wrestling in Amarillo. You can only imagine how hot it was there, and there was no air conditioning in any buildings back in those days. So Funk was working yeah. sixty-minute draws and heat. Like he's laughing at this. You guys call this hot? <laughs> just drills Ricky Steamboat there. So if anyone can deal with this, it's it's Terry Funk, and then Ricky Steamboat's cardio is just next level too. So that may be why these guys knock it out of the park here. Oh yeah. Easily the best this match on the card. Show. That's not saying a whole lot. The rest of the card the, left a lot to be desired wrestling-wise. It's just, uh, 
I'm trying to pinpoint like why I love this show so much, but well, there's just a lot like... of it's it's a very busy show. There's a lot of stuff going on. There's Funk Funk looked it's like he was going to hit the post there and decided to go with the guardrail instead. Yeah, I'm not I'm not taken away from the show as an, an entertainment, um, yeah, type event, but this isn't the WWF. Like and and when I watch the NWA, it's it's like a breath of fresh air. I'm going. I'm looking for something different. If I want to watch this type of show. I'm turning it over to Vince, and instead I'm getting, you know, Vince Light here, unfortunately. And I'm not crapping on the show. It was a fine show. I mean, we made it through here. No problems. It was very, it flo- <laughs> it's been flowing. I mean, we're already in the main event. Yeah, and I, I think what it is, is too, is it's just different to see the NWA guys have a show similar to what Vince runs and uh, kind of see how they handle it. Nothing, and I, I take some of the reason, like, the matches aren't as good as they could have been. I mean, there's some decent matchups on here. It's just this heat is unbearable. Um, and unless you're somebody like Funk who's used to it, or somebody like Steamboat, oh. Splash to the bank. Who, uh, who has cardio, probably the best cardio out of anybody, except maybe Ric Flair, maybe even Terry Funk at this point. Um, you're not going to put on a decent match here. It's almost impossible. I mean, Gordy and Doc was fun as hell for the first three minutes, and then they were done. They were gassed. They gave everything they had that first three minutes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so it, it's just a fun, fast show. It, nothing overstays its welcome. Nothing's too long. And uh, and I think to me, me personally, like the heat, the environment, just everything about it is different. And it's something you'll never see. Like, this is it. Like, this is the only shot of something like this. And uh, it sticks out for me. And I, that's why I really enjoy it. So. Flare or uh, Funk doing the flare flop <laughs> over the top rope to the floor. <laughs> oh, oh, he shit. took a nasty fall off the apron. <laughs> oh, that was awesome. He did a little different than Flair there, but man, that was great. Yeah, that was far far more fun to watch. Just just on the uh, the bump to the the floor, Steamo going to the top. And that's the side with the stairs too. Wow, another great. Funk's like, dude, get the hell out of here. <laughs> Takes another I bump off Funk. the apron. Funk's just great, man. He just so far ahead of his time. Nobody else even thought to do the things he was doing at this point. He didn't steal any of this from anyone. He didn't get any of these ideas from anyone. These, these are all Terry Funk. Now, now it's a dime a dozen guys going out there and, uh, well, I, I wish it was a dime a dozen still, but after Terry Funk, there's a lot of guys who took a little extra, a little bit of the more liberties and their bumps and things like that. But Funk, man, just great stuff. Yeah. Steamboat carrying took, Funk all around took, the ring. Yeah, he never really took himself too serious. I mean, he had the accolades and the career accomplishments to where he could have been put on that pedestal of, you know, one of the greats of all time. And a lot of people put him there. But he never took himself too serious, it seemed like. He loved the business and he wanted to go out there and perform and he was going to do whatever it took. And, uh, it's kind of sad he's remembered as the hardcore legend more than anything. These days, anyway. I think I think Terry likes to be known as that. I think uh, he spent a lot of time uh, earning that reputation. But yeah, it's like it's so funny to think that Funk had already accomplished everything you could 
ever really want to accomplish by the mid eighties. Yeah. And the steamboat dumper, I mean, he, he, uh, been the former, been a former NWA world heavyweight champion. Everybody knew his name. Uh, he even got to work Hogan before leaving the WWF, got to do some uh, loop with Hogan and make a few bucks. So Funk did everything you really needed to do. And then he went to Hollywood and here he is back here just because he loves the business so much. And I'm so happy he did return here in 89. just seems so odd randomly that Funk decided to return to the business, much less the NWA here in 1989. But I'm so glad he did between his stuff with the stuff he's done with Sting in the last few weeks, this match with Ric Flair, this match here with Steamboat. I don't know what we would have done yeah, here in 89 if we hadn't gotten Terry Funk. NWA lucked yeah, themselves no, into a, uh, NWA really lucked themselves into an entire NW or 1989. Uh, if, if a couple of these guys just never came in, I don't know what they would have done. If, if Steamboat, guys didn't yeah, if Steamboat hadn't come in to work flair the first quarter of the year, I don't know what the hell the NWA would have done. If Probably Funk hadn't come in here, I, I don't know what, what the NWA would have done. And you can, you can point to Luger. And that's fine, but that's, you know, retread. Yeah, or you can go Sting. I mean, that's really it. You'd uh Yeah. And I and Sting may have actually took off and actually worked if they went with him here in eighty nine, but I'm with you, man. I'm so glad these two came in because it's so different than anything else you really see uh anywhere during this time. And um for two totally different reasons. Funk's not the I don't want to discredit him, but at this point, like he's not the greatest in-ring performer, but his selling and everything else and his promos, the total package of Terry Funk is awesome. And Patrick goes down. We're getting a lot of ref bumps. I think this is the second time Patrick's taking a bump tonight. Is Vince Russo booking this shit? Steve goes flying over the top rope to the floor. <laughs> and I'm assuming so, this, rev, this rev, rev bump took place for a reason. I just, I don't remember what it is. So I'm curious to see what plays out here. I think it was that was it, wasn't it? Where he threw him over the top. Well, that wasn't even. Oh, here we go. The uh, what Jim Ross refers to as the running pile driver. Boom. And Funk's been taking guys out left and right with that move. Brad Armstrong, Johnny Rich, Eddie Guerrero, Lee Scott. <laughs> so Funk's been dropping <laughs> guys left and right on that on that pile driver on the floor. And to me, like kind of like what you was talking about, how he accomplished everything. We'll just go back to that for a second here. Terry Funk reminds me a lot of Steve Austin, where um, everybody remembers Steve Austin as, you know, kicks and punches and brawling all out the arena, doing absolutely nothing. And then everybody forgets you can go to WCW in, what, 92, 93. And he's one of the best workers in the company, like actual wrestling. And um, he's a hell of a wrestler. Funk's kind of that same way. He could do the hardcore matches all day, but people forget how good of an actual in-ring performer he is as far as actual wrestling goes. And uh, it's just a shame. You should be able to enjoy all of it. If you like Terry Funk, you should. I can enjoy his hardcore matches right along with his uh, technical masterpieces. You know, this match is really good. Um, yeah, and this is a big deal right here. Ricky Steamboat kicks out of the pile driver on the floor. Other guys are getting stretchered. And Ricky Steamboat not only continues to wrestle, but he kicks out of the move. That's a huge deal here uh, for Ricky Steamboat. And Funk going to the top rope, and that doesn't look like a moonsault position, so I have no idea what he's going for here. 
That's like a splash right onto the knees of Steamboat. Taking a page right out of Steamboat. Steamboat usually likes to <laughs> do the splash and land on the knees. <laughs> yeah. And it uh, looks like we're like firing said, up here. We might be heading to the finish. Like you said, it's not saying much, but, man, this match is above and beyond everything else on this card. Oh, it's been great. Funk's been drilling it in there. I mean, the pile drivers, the neck breakers, Funk's working in all of his big spots. They've been punching and chopping the hell out of each other. It's been, it's been really good. And there's been no rest hold. It's crazy. Yeah, it's been nonstop you, action, and that's just that's interesting to think about considering, you know, the the heat. Yeah, the, the situation they're they're working in. Gut buster there by Steamboat. He's going up top. Might be going for the crossbody here. If Funk ever gets up. Turn around, Terry. Oh, that's the big chop. And uh, a ghetto blaster. The <laughs> <laughs> ghetto blaster. Sends Funk out to the uh, out to the announce table. Bob Cottle trying to hold the hold the TV there. Look at the monitor they got. Go take my coat, Terry. Sorry, guys. He's got the mic. He's got the house mic now. Boom! Right over the head of Steamboat, and Patrick sees it. But oh, this is one of the chances where the referee's actually going to call for the bell, and that's the that's the finish. We go about 14 minutes, and Nick Patrick calls for the disqualification. I think Nick would have let that go, but he just wants to get the hell out of this building at this point. Probably, because he let Steamboat throw Funk over the top rope with a body slam. So Steamboat declared the winner on disqualification, so Funk says the hell with it. I'm going to go get the microphone again, but oh, it's Lex Luger. Lex Luger to the ring. He's got a chair. <laughs> Funk just walking. Oh boy. Funk's just walking casually, rolls out of the ring. All right. <laughs> Raises his hands. He's lost the match. Those pants need to go, Lex. <laughs> Let's get this. Let's watch this. Looks like Lex has something to say, so I'll uh we'll listen to this. That's loud. You know, there's been a lot of talk. There's been a lot of talk. But I have some problems lately. Some problems with my arrogance, maybe. That I'm too cocky. But I have a problem with maybe too much ego, a lot of ego. I don't have any problems. All I got is a lot of pride. Come on, Ricky, let's go. And boom, there it is. We, he's been, uh, we've been building this up for the last several weeks. And uh, the, Lex Luger goes full-blown heel here as he attacks the ultimate babyface, Ricky Steamboat. Bob Cottle, what the hell is he doing that for? <laughs> Just now he blasts Steamboat with the chair. Really... No, that was uh, great. That, you heard really that well Luger was over his hell when he got in the ring. That Luger chant was insane, especially for the end of the show, this crowd 
you know, being half full and being dead for, for, for much of the second half of the show. Now the torture rack on Ricky's steamboat to really <laughs> drive it home. And look at him. He looks like he's just <laughs> bending a rubber doll. Yeah. And Luger's gone completely heel here. He's obsessed with being number one, the number one contender, getting the World Heavyweight Championship. And perfect timing now is Ric Flair's a babyface. Luger talking a little trash to Steamboat is uh, this is pretty much the end of the show. Yeah, this was awesome. Really, really good. Leave Steamboat laying. Yeah, and if you just just watch the Clash, you don't really follow the TV or anything. Um, you would think this came out of nowhere, but being able to watch all the TV, the syndication, and just hear the promos and things like that from Luger, you can tell this was coming. You just didn't know when or where. And uh, I think for effectiveness, this was uh, a job well done. I thought they did really, really good with this. Yeah, no, it was great. In, 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 in fact, in fact, I, I, uh, Dave Meltzer, he lumps the match and the angle after the match together, but he gives the whole thing four and a quarter stars. That's uh pretty high for a uh, pretty high amount, you know, star rating for a match that ends in a disqualification. So that's saying a lot, especially about the angle. These poor guys, man, let them get out of the gear. Hey man, they're good trained night. for shit like this. They're good to go. Oh, Bob puts the, uh, they put the coats back on. Poor JR. We've been wearing them the whole time. Honest folks. And I never thought your favorite clash would feature not one, but two Michael Hayes matches and the ding dongs. It's just amazing (laughs) to think about all the other stuff that was on the show to negate two Michael Hayes matches and a ding dongs match. Well, to be honest with you, when I'm watching this show, I, I, before it was, um, without watching everything. So my disdain for Michael Hayes hasn't really, been a thing of the past until recently when I had to watch him on Saturday Night Pro Worldwide Clash pay-per-views, and I realized how terrible he was at pretty much everything he did. His promos, his in-ring, everything was kind of shitty, and um, I never really realized it before because I never really paid attention to Michael Hayes. But now that I'm kind of forced to, uh, the disdain's there. So, um, But like I stated just a little bit ago, I think it's just a lot of action. There's a lot going on. The environment, the setting. Um, my whole family, like on my dad's side, was in the military. My dad was in the military. So there's that that ties into it a little bit, uh, just being patriotic, that sort of stuff. Uh, I love the setup. I love the, the stories and them talking to their families and, and things like that. So just the whole presentation. It's not one in particular segment, match anything it's just the entire package from beginning to end i I just really enjoy the show i I can't tell you why um well one thing sticks out for me but uh, again i think it's just the entire presentation yeah and i think this show's middle of the road uh certainly a slight thumbs up for me or at least a thumbs up to some degree for me i can't call it my favorite clash i have a few clashes i really 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 feel passionate about that i really love and, and i enjoy watching um, but this, there, I, I like what I always, I've went back and watched, watched this clash in the past and I certainly have no problem watching it. Um, the, in the Dave Meltzer reports in the observer that this show got a 45% thumbs up and a 46% thumbs down with 9% undecided based on 
phone calls anyway. So it's basically 50-50 with the uh, crowd at the time, and I think a lot of that's probably a lot of the NWA crowd not happy with what they're seeing booking-wise with uh, with Norman and the ding-dongs and probably some of these finishes as well. The whole idea was when we got away from Dusty was we were going to get more clean finishes and we're getting a lot more run-ins and things as of late with this new booking committee. Uh, nobody's perfect. I'm sure that'll <clears throat> things will slow down a little bit with all this nonsense as the summer progresses. This turn right here was uh, absolutely masterful, though, and Luger did a really good job with it. Probably his only turn that I really enjoyed as far as the 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 way it happened, the way it went down, because they got pretty lazy there later on in WCW where he joined the Wolf Pack, and they, they said, Lex Luger, why did you turn? And, and the, the laziest reason I've ever heard of a turn in my entire life, uh, <laughs> Luger's response was, it just felt right. And that was when wrestling, I, I was just done with, with following shit in WCW. Because at this point, you're so lazy, this guy's turning because it just felt right. But uh, here, yeah. this, was, this was great. They had a great reason for it. Luger's promos have been probably some of Luger's best promos ever. And the turn here was just perfect timing and perfect execution. Yeah, I and think so is, as well. And you had asked me earlier if Tommy Weathers was still here producing and, and directing the show and, and all that. Um, I took a screen cap. I'm going to throw it up uh, with some ideas I have with, with um, for Twitter here. But uh, Tommy uh, Tommy Edwards is still here. He's still the producer and director. He's listed as producer and director in the end credits, which we don't see here on the WWE Network, but we do in the live version. But I also noticed the uh, that the assistant producer is now Craig Leathers. So it's only a matter of time before Craig takes over production duties. He'd eventually go on. Everybody would know he would eventually go on to become the head producer, or at least the head director underneath Eric Bischoff for WCW Nitro throughout the entire Nitro run. So Leathers is pretty well known in the WCW world from 1989 all the way till the end in, in 2001. Yeah, and he was the guy that was, he was the producer on one of that Coliseum video that we watched too. Right, yeah, he, he did WWF. work for the WWF. He yeah, he did what work. he was doing. That's right, he did work for the WWF in the mid-80s. But yeah, the, the unfortunate thing with Luger is that they... They did it too often. I know the sting injury caused him to turn. Yeah, that, um, one, that one unfortunately was... In early 1990s, so they really had nothing for a pay-per-view, so they had to do something. And that, that, that to me, that kind of ended Lex Luger. The matches and everything were fine. I love the WrestleWar 90 match with Ric Flair and all that, but once Sting came back, you knew his place was in you know second place, so they was going to have to turn him again. And when you do that too many times, it's it, it wears out its welcome. So... um unfortunate what happened but this this turn right here was awesome i'm here for yeah, it i, I and, can't uh, help I can't but wonder if luger's yeah i can't help but wonder if luger's turn here would have happened if barry windham hadn't left and then like you said his baby face turned in 1990 certainly wouldn't have happened if sting hadn't gotten injured so i, th I feel like sometimes luger was forced to do turns and you know at, at the wrong time and and they were so yeah. close together compared to any other face or heel turns you saw and they were more often than any, any other turns you saw. So, yeah, it's really stuck out with Lex Luger for sure. But uh, I hope you guys enjoyed Clash of the Champions 7, Guts and Glory. We'll be returning next week. with We'll do another two or three weeks worth of NWA television. That'll take us into July, somewhere in July, as we get ready for the Great American Bash pay-per-view. I look forward to doing that watch along. That's uh, probably my favorite NWA pay-per-view. I love WrestleWar 92. I think Spring T Stampede 94 is okay. But, um... Probably Great American Bash 89 is, is probably my favorite overall pay-per-view 
uh, between the NWA and WCW. So uh, that's going to yeah. be fun when we get to it. Yeah, absolutely. It's been a long time since I've seen it, so it's going to be like brand new to me. So I'm looking forward to watching it and uh, hearing some stories from you, like why you like it so much and things like that. So uh, it's going to be a great time, and I'm looking forward to it. All right, guys. I appreciate you guys sticking with us. Another watch along in the books. Uh, we'll have another one here in probably another two, three weeks or so. Until then, we'll be back next time. Like I said, I'm not really sure how many weeks we're going to knock out next time because we're adding the power hour to the reviews, and that's five shows a week, and that's a lot of work. So we may take it a little slow at first till we get in a new groove. So, But it count on at least two weeks' worth of reviews next time, maybe three. We'll see what happens. But until then, Steve, man, I really appreciate you being here. I hope you enjoyed Clash of the Champions 7 as much as I was hoping you would. Oh, yeah, you don't have to. You know I enjoyed it. Like I said, it's probably top one or two clashes for me that I remember. It was a blast. I love watching it, and uh, it was fun watching it with you and getting your insights. So uh, it was a pleasure to be here. Promotional consideration paid for by the following. We've got to thank our loyal fan base of listeners of The Grenade. As you guys continue to listen, download, and subscribe to the show. We can't thank you guys enough, and please continue to spread the word and retweet all the posts from our Twitter account to help us grow. Of course, all of our shows are available on WrestleCopia.com, but you can also find The Grenade wherever you listen to your streaming podcasts of pleasure. We're available on Apple, iTunes, Spotify, Google Pods, Stitcher, Overcast, Pocket Cast, Podbean, you name it, and we're probably there. And a reminder that you too can win free prizes as listeners of The Grenade as part of our continuous free giveaway offers. All you have to do is follow us on Twitter at Rasslin Grenade. That's follow us on Twitter at R-A-S-S-L-I-N Grenade. It's that simple. Be a follower of the Grenade and you're automatically entered into each and every free gift giveaway. And spread the word about the free prize giveaway and the show in general because the more subscribers and followers we have, the more gifts we can give away, the more shows we can produce. And one more time, I just want to thank our loyal fan base, all of our listeners of the Wrestling Memory Grenade. We hope to hear from you in the future. And just want to thank everybody once again. Please stop back next week where we'll tackle another two to three weeks of NWA 89 goodness as we finish off the month of June and make our way to the Great American Bash this July. Guaranteed in the next review will be the debut of the NWA's fifth weekly show, The Power Hour. Just a quick reminder that you can listen, download, and subscribe to The Grenade anywhere. Yes, we're available on WrestleCopia.com, but you can also listen to us on your other favorite podcast streaming sites. Places like Apple, iTunes, Spotify, Google Pod, Podcast Addict, and beyond. Follow us on Twitter for your chance at winning one of two free prizes at the upcoming Halloween contest for the Arn Anderson and Tito Santana autograph promo picks. As always, you can join us over at WrestleCopia.com for all episodes of The Grenade, WCNN, free preview episodes of The Power Hour, and our upcoming shows set to launch over the fall, including Monday Warfare, The Battles Within. And I have to encourage everyone to please stop on over to our Patreon account. That's at patreon.com slash WrestleCopia. An astounding 14 tiers of offers on our Patreon account. And if you're not looking for anything special, we've even got a $1 donation tier set up to show your support for The Grenade and all the other Copia-based podcasts. Please show your support so that we can continue to help the network grow. 
And that wraps it up here for episode 11. I truly enjoyed our watch-along commentary for Clash 7. I certainly had fun. I hope you guys did too. And I can't wait to do the watch-along for Bash 89, one of, if not my favorite, NWA slash WCW pay-per-views ever. So until next week, this is Ray Russell for Steve Ekstat saying, from pillar to post and coast to coast, you pull the pin and we'll pick up the pieces right here on the Wrestling Memory Grenade. See you next week. Don't miss it. Be there.